Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Time now for the Character and Smallman podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And welcome to Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed jeweler. Happy Tuesday morning. Great to have you with us. Michelle, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Randy. It seems like you're doing really well. Yeah, well, you know, it was just a great Tuesday here in St. Louis. It's raining. I fell down the stairs again this morning. I Thankfully. told Michelle, I said, maybe we got to get you to stop drinking. <laughs> you know, I wish, Randy, that I was drinking. <laughs> I wish that I was drinking because at least then I would have an excuse. No, I live in a really old house. I got hardwood floors put in and you would think this has happened what six months ago that I would be a little bit more cautious um, sure. but no I was wearing socks on the hardwood slept fell right down the stairs thankfully I didn't have any coffee in my hand and yeah, I really. didn't have to clean that up this morning uh, but no we're um, we're in some pain but we're I'm a gamer we'll thrive we'll go we'll thrive right through this we do have a leave back in the supplies closet here at 101 ESPN good to know yeah because so I'm gonna definitely just need in case, yeah. Matt Rocky is also here. Got a busy morning for you. We're going to talk to Darren Pang coming up at 8.15. Klabes with his normal Tuesday visit at 8.45. And then we recorded an interview with David Perron yesterday before the trade went down. We wanted to go over and check him out and uh, see how he's doing. We haven't seen David since COVID started. Yeah. So we were stopped by the EMB Granite Studios and recorded a good interview with him that we'll have at 9.15. Yeah, we were speaking with him yesterday and we, we said, David, we talk to you every week for two Two years, and this is the first time we've been in the same room together. Yeah, right. How crazy is that? But it was great to see him in person, and um, it, it's such a gift for us to be able to talk to the athletes in town, like Adam Wainwright and David Perron, every week. So it's good to get some FaceTime with them. And after the interview with us, David and the Blues took off for Washington, where they'll play Alexander Ovechkin and the Capitals tonight, six o'clock, with the face-off five o'clock pregame here on 101 ESPN with Alex Ferrario. The Blues will presumably have Nick Letty in the lineup. They acquired him from Detroit. In exchange for defenseman Jake Wallman, Oscar Sundquist, and a 2023 second round pick. Detroit retains half of Letty's salary, Michelle making the trade money in, money out. And I, when I first heard the trade, hated it. Yeah. But then determined, because we should and do, in this room at least, have faith in Doug Armstrong. The Blues, over the course of the last seven months, must have determined that the Oscar Sundquist injuries, he had ACL surgery and surgery Mm -hmm. on both hips, are going to prevent him from being what he was in 2019. Craig Bruby has said that Oscar Sundquist was his favorite player, was the engine of the team. And if that player is able to do what 
he's able to do it 100%, you don't move him. But if he's a diminished guy, then you move him in a trade like this. Yeah, you, you financially, it makes sense if you don't think he's ever going to be able to be the engine that he once was. But Randy, same exact thought process for me. When I first saw the trade come down, I was frantically reading, what did the Blues give up for Letty? Okay. And I saw Sonny's name and I went, what? How does it? How does the team run without its engine? But then, uh, same thing with you. After a couple hours went by, I started thinking about how he hasn't been the same since recovering from those injuries. Jake Wallman, depth piece. I understand why he would be thrown in the mix. But I was surprised that it was Sonny, Wallman, and a 2023 mm-hmm. second round pick. It, it seemed like a lot to, for what they're getting in exchange. And I know that Doug Armstrong had called on some bigger names, but thought that the asking price was too high. So this seems like one of those moves that when you're you're thinking about whether the Blues are a winner or a loser. Right now, it almost feels like a push and almost like a TBD. I kind of feel like the 2023 second rounder, that part is for Detroit taking on half of the salary yeah. of Nick Letty. You, you trade the players and they'll roll the dice on Wallman and Sunquist, And then Steve Eiserman says... But you know what? I'm taking on a bunch of money here, too. And that's what the NHL is now. You have to trade for cap space. And I think that's probably where the second round pick came in. There is a price to pay for being a cap team. A lot of teams have proven that this year. And the price of taking on that salary for other teams has gone up because they know they can do it. They know other teams are desperate. It is sad to see Oscar Sundquist go, though, Randy. Such an important part of that 2019 Blues team. He... he is such a great player when mm-hmm. healthy and I hope that he gets healthy again and I just hope that this isn't it's one of those things where I want him to be healthy because we're fans of Sonny and we want to see him have success but I hope that this isn't one of those things that the Blues look back on and really regret Nick Letty little over six foot tall little over 200 pounds here is the Blues poho Doug Armstrong on his new left shot defenseman oh I, I think Nick brings experience uh if you look at the last couple of playoff uh, years, his team has played into the semifinals, and his ice time last year, I think, was a he was one in the top three, and I think the ice time between him and the other two were twelve second differential. So, and the year before, he was again in the top three in a team that went to the semis. So he, he's a guy that can log big minutes at important uh, times of the year for for teams that play deep, and uh, he's a skater, he's a puck mover. I think it's a uh, a dimension that that will add to our group. Um, with Scandella and, and Mikkel and Bortz, they were very similar players. And Wallman's also a skater, but doesn't ha- nearly have the experience of a player like Nick. So I think it uh, it gives us an option to get, he gives, I think he gives the coaches an option. Now we have, we have seven experienced players. Mikkel has played uh, uh, deep into the world championships and won. And so he's an experienced player uh, internationally, getting more experience every day. And then obviously Scandella and Bortz have played uh, a lot of NHL games and the four above them, uh, with Letty in that group now, played a lot. So it gives us uh, uh, different looks that, that uh, the coach can use, whether he, depending on who he wants to pair Nick with and, and maybe situations during the game. Michelle, two quick points here. Number one, when you compare the cost for the Blues for Nick Letty, who, by the way, is not nearly as good as Hampus Lindholm mm-hmm. or Giordano at this stage, I, I would say that he's close to Giordano, but Giordano's more experienced and has a, a more versatile game. And then you look at what Florida gave up for Sherratt. The Blues' cost for the player was way below what other teams gave up for the left-shot defenseman. 
The other point for me is uh, I've hated Nick Letty for a long time. I always <laughs> saw him skating up the ice when he was with Chicago yeah. against the Blues. It's going to take a few days for me to get used to him being here. He better be a good guy like Troy Brower was because I kind of hate those former Blackhawk guys. I understand. Um, he seems like a nice guy. Yeah. I mean, I saw the video the Blues pushed pushed out of him when he arrived. He says he's excited to be a Blue. Mm-hmm. That's a good step in the right direction, Randy. He's excited to be here. Yeah, they all say that. Well, he did get traded. It's really out of his control. What is he going to say? <laughs> this sucks. I can't believe I'm in St. Louis. Yeah, we, we've heard that before, but not not to guys from the, for the Blues, but we've heard guys say it sucks, but those are more established guys than Nick Letty. And who's going to be a UFA, by the way, after this season? Do you think that if he gets extension and an extension to stay here, you'll feel better about this deal? I guess it's all TBD on how he performs, yeah, right? Yeah, to me, this is kind of an addition through subtraction situation because I I really believe that they must believe that Sunquist is not going to be what he was. So you've got that money coming off the books. It's kind of like when they traded, uh, not to the level of, because Chris Stewart had quit being a good player, but when they were able to move the Stewart and Halak contracts in the trade for Ryan Miller, that opened up money for Stastny. I have to believe that on some level this is opening up money for Matthew Kachuk. I'm really curious what the fans think about this because I was trying to get a temperature of it last night online and it seems like there was a lot of varied responses to this. So send us a mic drop on the Ryan yeah. Show mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app, 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line. Do you feel like the Blues are better today? Because Good question. I keep going back and forth on that, Randy. Like I said, right now, it, it's TBD to see how Letty plays. But it almost feels like a push for me right now. Well, there is one guy who's going to benefit. And yesterday, I asked Doug Armstrong, pointed out that for a long time, for many years, when Oscar Sundquist and Jaden Schwartz played for the Blues, they won. And when they were out with injuries, the Blues didn't win. Thus, the term that was coined actually by Craig Berube that Sundquist was the engine of the club. And the term that was coined by Ken Hitchcock, that Jaden Schwartz was the conscience of the Blues. So I asked Doug Armstrong, who's the engine now? tongue-in-cheek, but uh, I think I read a stat, and you guys, I, I shouldn't say it because I haven't verified it myself, but I, I think we're like 15-4-3 and three when Brownie's in the lineup. So so maybe that's the guy we got to get going every night. Uh, but no, there, there are certain players that you 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 rely on. We rely on O'Reilly. We rely on Shen, Pranko. Uh, you know, we're, we have a very good tandem of goalies. Uh, you know, we need the engine. The engine of the St. Louis, always, St. Louis Blues has always been the sum of all its parts over just one part, and uh, so we're we're not a we're not a singular driven team uh, where where if one player goes out, we don't think we should be competitive. Army's right; it is the collective that mm-hmm. makes the Blues run. But may I nominate another name? Yes. What about our guy David Perron? When David Perron is going, the Blues tend to follow. Think about what mm-hmm. happened in the in the playoffs when he was out with COVID. It was a team that did not dramatically looked and felt different. Right. Yeah. David Perron, in so many ways, does a lot of things that help this Blues team be what they need to be. I think he's a linchpin. When I asked the question. I thought Doug Armstrong would say Ivan Barbashev. Barbie's a good answer, too. Because he plays both ends of the ice with a lot of energy. He's in there on the four check. He'll play the 200-foot game that the Blues desire. Now he scores a little bit more, too. And he's another guy that the Blues seem to play better when he's in the lineup as opposed to when he's not in the lineup. 
It's just another piece of that championship team gone and another piece of that identity gone. When I think about the guys that made that team, that team, it was like Army said, the sum of all its parts. But with a Pat Maroon gone, with a Jay Bowmeister gone, with an Oscar Sundquist gone, it is a completely different look and feel. Even though there are a lot of guys that are still on the team, it's just different. And no pressure, but... If number 25 is going to play a lot of minutes, he better start playing better defense because he cost him the other day and he's cost them a lot. And so I think Cairo really needs to improve his overall play. Down in Florida yesterday, last night, the Cardinals knocked off the Nationals 7-3. to Nolan Gorman, a couple of hits. Elias, so- uh, Elias Sosa, that's a, a reliever from the 70s. A nice. Cardinal reliever from the 70s. Good pull, Elias Randy. Sosa. No, it was uh, Edmundo Sosa with a three RBI game. Dickerson with a hit along with Lars Nootbar. Steven Matz with a couple of innings. He allowed two hits, struck out two, and Hennessy Cabrera and TJ McFarland each threw an inning along with Cody Whitley and the Cardinals win at 7-3. I can't believe I pulled Elias Sosa out. Like, that, that is just weird. You know, I wish you could see you from my point of view, Randy, because that does not shock me at all. I mean, I watch you every day pull out facts and names and stories from any portion of your sports life, and you remember every vivid detail of it. So why should you be surprised that you were able to pull that name out? The Cardinals, one of the reasons that they couldn't win in the 70s was because they always had bad bullpens. And he was kind of like the face of those bad bullpens. Al Roboski never had any help. And let me just give you some Elias Sosa, because I go to baseballreference.com uh, let's see, Elias, 1975. Here don't, you go. Don't, don't take a, a Wednesday fight question away from me now. I'm already thinking. <laughs> okay. Uh, 0-3 with a 3.95, 14 games, 27 innings, 22 hits, and a whip of 1.3. Elias was uh, less than stellar in his brief Cardinal career. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. That's Matthew. We're off and running here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we've got four downs from the NFL with Michelle and Randy on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It is time for Four Downs with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. First down. Michelle, five years ago, the Atlanta Falcons were in the Super Bowl and won play call prevented them from beating the Patriots in the Super Bowl. We all know the score. It was 28 to 3 and Kyle Shanahan decided to throw the ball rather than run it and run the clock and he caused the game to go into overtime. He himself caused the game to go to overtime and it has been downhill for the Falcons ever since. Yesterday, they traded the quarterback of that team, that Ryan Indianapolis for a third round pick. And Michelle, when you look at what a Super Bowl team they had five years ago to right now, They have Cordero Patterson, who was a really good player last year. They converted him from wide receiver to running back. They have last year's first-round draft choice, Kyle Pitts. They have offensive tackle Jake Matthews. That's on the offensive side. And on the defensive side, they also have three good players. Grady Jarrett, Deion Jones, and A.J. Terrell, a defensive lineman, a linebacker, and a cornerback. Plus, their kicker, Young Hoku, is pretty good. There are seven seven winning players on the Atlanta Falcons right now. They are the least talented team in the NFC, and it's not even close. And they and the Jets are the two least talented teams in the National Football League. It is absolutely amazing when you think back to that 28-3 score Mm -hmm. that the general manager is gone, that the coach is gone, that the quarterback is gone, and that all of those good players are gone. And now 
the Atlanta Falcons are an NFL disaster area. That window to win is sometimes so small. When you think about the state of that team and where they are today, if you're a Falcons fan, you, of course, were devastated in the wake of that Super Bowl. But you're thinking, oh, man, we'll, we'll be right back in the mix, right? There's a lot, of, a lot of good talent on this team, good coaching. We'll be right there. Then Kyle Shanahan leaves. Everything starts to fall apart. And here you are today. And, by the way, they signed Marcus Mariotto to be their quarterback. I don't know if that's going to work out. He really has not worked out particularly well after being the second pick in the draft by Tennessee or last year as a backup for the Raiders. Anthony Salter's on vacation, enjoying his time in sunny Florida. I wonder how he feels about this, our resident Falcons fan. I think he's probably down. I would imagine. Because even if Matt Ryan isn't peak Matt Ryan, he's still your guy. He's still Matty Ice. I think a lot of fans would probably rather lose with their guy then try to rebuild and win with someone else, knowing it's going to take a long time. And to think that you went from Matt Ryan to Marcus Mariota, no disrespect, Marcus, mm-hmm. uh, loved you during your time at Oregon, but I can't imagine too many Falcons are Falcons fans are pumped this morning. And Michelle, we talk about how fragile winning in the NFL or any sport is and how lucky we were to experience a championship when the Rams won here in St. Louis because Arizona Cardinals went to the Super Bowl, never got back. The 49ers a few years ago went to the Super Bowl, have not been back. When, when you look at uh, the, the 06 Bears, the, the Falcons, there have been so many teams that thought, oh, we'll, we'll be back, but they never get back. And so if you're a fan of a team that wins, you better enjoy that journey. Second down. Well, the Indianapolis Colts are the benefactors of this deal. And I think they owe not only the Falcons a thank you card, Randy, but the Washington Commanders. Hear me out here. So basically, all Matt Ryan needs to do is be better than Carson Wentz, which I think he can do. Even though Carson Wentz took better care of the football last year, he's been erratic at times. Matt Ryan seems to be as steady as they come. After the Colts traded Wentz, all of the reports came out of Indy that they were really disappointed in Carson Wentz as a leader. You've never heard anything of the sort with Matt Ryan. He's going to walk in, have a certain level of cachet, have a certain level of steadiness, and I think he's going to be the upgrade and the leader that the Colts need to continue to be a playoff contender. However, let's look at all of the steps that got them here. The Colts could make this trade in part because the Washington Commanders shipped two third-round picks, one conditional that can actually become a second-rounder, for Carson Wentz while taking on that salary. So without them offering to take away what was a problem for the Colts, they would never be in this position to make this upgrade for Matt Ryan. So in acquiring Matt Ryan, Indy just had to flip one of those third rounders to Atlanta, use that cap space to make sure that this deal would work for their new quarterback. It actually seems like a pretty easy transaction for them. They should be sending the Washington commander some sort of a thank you card, maybe a fruit basket of some sort. Because of the ineptness Mm -hmm. that continues to happen in Washington, the Colts are in a better place today. The commanders were not patient and the Colts were. The Colts let everything play out. And I texted Rick Venter the analyst for the radio broadcast for the Indy Colts, and he said, best possible outcome for Colts, rebuilding is overrated. Matt keeps a good team relevant. 36 isn't as old as it was 10 years ago, and that certainly is true. That's very true. Much better leader than Wentz. Mm. So I couldn't agree with you more. That is a, and I thought that was a good move. And they still need some work. They need to draft a wide receiver. Uh, and by the way, they give up a number one to Philadelphia for Wentz, but they need to draft a wide receiver and they still need to fill their left tackle hole and they might be able to pull that off in free agency. The stuff about him as a leader I find to be so fascinating because Frank Reich advocated for him. He was with him in Philly 
And mm-hmm. yeah. I know that there was a lot of drama there with Howie Roseman and with Doug Peterson. And it seemed like a, a power shift or, excuse me, a, a power pull. But it felt more like Howie Roseman was kind of the orchestrator there right. than Carson Wentz. He almost felt like an RG3, like kind of stuck in the yeah. middle a little bit. So that's why I find it to be so interesting that he goes to, to Indy and all of that stuff still follows him. And I don't know if Ryan will be able to be a lo- around long enough in Indy, but maybe he will because we talked about how Joe Burrow kind of has become the leader of the community in Cincinnati. Yeah. Maybe Matt Ryan is that. He was the, that guy in Atlanta. Maybe Matt Ryan can quickly become that guy with Indianapolis. We'll see. Third down. Michelle, a remarkable story yesterday in The Athletic, right? Written in part by our friend Mike Sando. It detailed the shortcomings and downfall of Urban Meyer in Jacksonville. Now, we knew some of this stuff, but the notable part of the story was the apparent lack of knowledge by Meyer about some of the NFL stars. Remember the movie Draft Day when Brown's GM Sonny Weaver on draft day in the war room asked his staff, hey, what's the name of that new GM in Jacksonville? Well, this might be one of those cases where life is imitating art because the report said that Meyer asked his staff before the Jags played the Rams, hey, who's this 99 guy on the Rams? I'm hearing he might be a problem for us. Now, you might say, okay, he's joking around. I joke with my daughter sometimes about this number six on the Lakers, this up-and-comer that nobody knows. Or, you know, hey, who's the guy in the blues with the training camp number 91? (laughs) So who knows who that guy is? We, We could think that, but... Apparently, the same thing happened with Debo Samuel of the 49ers and Jamal Adams of the the Seahawks. So, evidently, Urban wasn't joking. His toxic work environment and the tyrannical approach he took also were detailed. Michelle, there have been some higher disasters of coaches in the NFL. Bobby Petrino with Atlanta, Lou Holtz with the Jets, Steve Spurrier in Washington. But the Meyer disaster in Jacksonville may top all of them as NFL coaching disasters. So yesterday after the show, I was speaking with Mike Ryder, one of our bosses, and you guys went to do our post-show meeting, and I said, oh, I'll meet you over there. I come to sit down, and you relay this story to me, and I I said, no, that's that can't be. Th- there's no way. There's no way that anyone who is a casual sports observer, let alone someone who has dedicated their life to the game of football, would not know who Aaron Donald is. I did not believe there's it. A way. I did not believe. I go, where did you get this? And you go, it's Mike Sando. It's the athletic. <laughs> I'm like, no. Michelle that was can't two be seconds. True. That cannot be true. Michelle was two seconds away from me. Like, Randy, did you also happen to give a Nigerian prince a lot of money over email <laughs> earlier yes, today? Yes. <laughs> I was like, uh, you know, I know you think I drink because I fall down the stairs. Are you drinking on the job? Like, there's no way. <laughs> so, of course, I went back and read it. And my goodness, was this so much worse than we thought. How about the the other part of this piece where he says to a player, do you know what would happen if I cut you guys? You couldn't get a job paying more than $15 an hour. He's he's kicking players. He's taunting them. He's taunting staff. He's now doing his research on, oh, I don't know, the best player in the league. Um, the one guy on your game plan you should probably be paying attention right. to. <laughs> you're, sta- you're not taking the team plane so you could dance with Cam in Nebraska at a bar in Ohio. Those are just the things that have come to light, too, Randy. And so one of the parts of the stories is that after dancing with Cayman, Nebraska, he's going from position group to position group, telling them, hey, she lured me onto the dance floor. But then he's going from one position group to another, and players all have their phones, and they're watching this video of him checking her oil. It's unbelievable how he lied to his 
football his position groups and they're all watching and he also there there was another one where there was a press conference where he's talking about the receivers weren't running the right routes yes and he said yeah the media's making it up and one of his players actually has a press conference on his phone right there and he's watching it <laughs> ridiculous it makes me wonder what else is going to come to light because after everything that went down in the wake of him getting fired you thought man that was really bad and then here here we find out months later they didn't even know who Aaron Donald's Aaron Donald yep. is or Debo Samuels is how? What are you doing with so, your job if you don't know who Aaron Dan- Aaron Donald is? Does this I can't give, even speak? I'm so yeah, worked up. Does this give him plausible deniability about not knowing what Aaron Hernandez was up to? Mm, well, that was a guy on his, his own team and in his yeah, own locker so room. He didn't know who Aaron Donald was. That is well, so fair. In, in fairness, he had the pounces blocking for him. <laughs> right. That is right. so fair. You know, maybe Randy. I don't even know. But I think he. The the Smith guy, the assistant coach. I didn't know. I didn't even know Aaron Donald. (laughs) That could be your defense. It's it's the Aaron Donald defense. Come on, you can't accuse me of knowing about what that guy was up to. I didn't even know who Aaron Donald was. How sway? How? I just. There is no part of this that can be computed through my brain. We always talk about the grocery store experiment. If you go into the grocery store and you survey 20 people, do they know who this person is? The majority of people at the grocery store not only know Aaron Donald, they're like, oh, yeah, I saw the video of him training with the knives. What a scary guy. How how have you avoided that video for Urban Meyer? Three-time NFL Defensive Player of the Year. One of the greatest to ever play the game, period. Maybe the greatest, period. And you don't know who this guy is. I wonder if Urban Meyer knows who Mean Joe Green was. Well, that was my next question, Randy. If he doesn't know who Aaron Donald is, who does he know in the NFL? Yeah, right. Exactly. Wait a second. I got to see now. Did Florida ever play Pittsburgh when Donald was on there and he was uh, coaching? I swear, if they played in college. Ohio State. Ohio State. If they played in college, this is going to be even funnier. Yeah. But he had to see tape as he was preparing for somebody. He had to be watching somebody's tape where Aaron Donald was causing havoc for Pitt in the middle of the line. You would think? Yep. I got a text from a buddy of mine who's a Notre Dame grad, Notre Dame fan, on the night that the Rams drafted Aaron Donald. He said, hey, they might not have gotten the right guy at number two when they took Greg Robinson. He said, but this guy, Aaron Donald, he killed us. Yeah. So a a casual fan, not a casual fan, but a, a fan of Notre Dame, knew how great Aaron Donald was in college. Yeah, I'll never forget when we sat down at Rams training camp for the first day and the, mm-hmm. where I was producing the fast lane at the time, and the first time that DeMarco Farr got eyes on Aaron mm-hmm. Donald, he was like, oh my God. Yeah, right. <laughs> this, this guy is going to be really special. Yeah, and then Jeff Fisher didn't start him for the first four regular oh, season Oh yeah, games. good times, good times. <laughs> Fourth down. It's amazing that these guys are working in the... I mean, it's it really amazing. Is, yeah. right? Honestly. Okay, well, I'll make this one quick, quick, Randy, because I, I still am flustered that Urban Meyer somehow <laughs> doesn't know who Aaron Donald is. But with the quarterback carousel continuing to churn, there's a couple guys who are out there, and they're looking for a seat. Baker Mayfield is one. Jimmy Garoppolo is another. Now, we know Jimmy Garoppolo is coming, coming off a shoulder surgery, but that hasn't really affected his trade market all that well. And this is a guy who has been... At the precipice of a Super Bowl championship, two out of the last three years, including playoff games, Randy, he's 37 and 16 as a starter in his career. You would think it would be at least an appealing option for some teams, but the problem is what teams are still available for Jimmy Garoppolo? So with the Colts out of the mix, you're wondering about the Saints, you're wondering about the Panthers, maybe the Seahawks, but it just feels like the urgency to sign Jimmy Garoppolo is not necessarily there. But according to my 
Florio of Pro Football Talks. Uh, 49ers GM John Lynch is telling interested teams that they already have an offer of two second round picks on the table for Jimmy Garoppolo. So I wonder if that market is about to pick up. It's got to be the Carolina Panthers. I would think so, too. And if you're Carolina and you want to win, you gave the one lost record, you got to bring a guy in there with some cachet, with some leadership ability, because even their coach, Matt Rule, doesn't provide much leadership. Garoppolo's a guy who can come in there and change, kind of like Trent Green did here, change the culture of an organization. They need a guy like Jimmy G in Charlotte. I would think so. Seattle, too, maybe. I don't know how sold they are on Drew Locke. I I would imagine the 49ers wouldn't want to do that within the division. I don't think so. Um, And, you know, the the Saints re-signing Jameis Winston, I don't know how set they are on him. Maybe Jimmy is another option for them. But the the spaces are filling up quickly. Yeah, and he's he's not a backup. Jimmy G is not a backup. I mean, he goes, when he plays, he's uh, got his team in the playoffs and one time in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Thank you, Michelle. That is Four Downs on 101 ESPN. Next up, Jack Flaherty is out. Is the Cardinals rotation still a strength with the remaining four guys? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michelle has a little bit of breaking news from the NFL here on 101 ESPN. According to Adam Schefter, guys, running back Leonard Fournette, he spent Monday visiting with the New England Patriots, is actually re-signing with the Tampa Bay Bucks on a three-year deal. So, uh, Lenny playoffs back in Tampa. Good for him. Tom Brady effect. It really is amazing, that Tom Brady effect. Michelle, the Cardinals, as Matthew mentioned, are 3-0 and in the spring, and... Their pitching rotation took a big hit with the loss of Jack Flaherty. So right now, Stephen Matz pitched well yesterday. You've got Wainwright, you've got Hudson, you've got Michaelis, who's already pitched. And Hudson, by the way, is going to get his first start today. Whoever it is, Jake Woodford, Matthew Libertor, that takes over for Jack Flaherty isn't going to be as effective. And the way the Cardinals schedule stacks up early in the season. They need that guy to be great. I don't think that there is a way that the Cardinals can be as good without Jack Flaherty as they are with him. Now, I know that sounds simple, but sometimes, like when the Cardinals lost Adam Wainwright in 2015, sometimes you have a guy that slides in and is great, and that team wound up winning 100 games even without Waino. I don't see though that picture, though, on this staff, where with Flaherty out, somebody's going to step in and be a 15-game winner. Now, maybe Woodford, maybe Libertor, maybe somebody else surprises us, mm-hmm. but Right now, I don't see that ability. I saw that ability in 2015 with with that rotation, but I just don't see it here. I wonder if Oviedo could be that guy. He obviously had a rough time um, when he came up. He was thrust into a position that he didn't really look ready for. It was a, a need at that point in his career. But I wonder how much that seasoning helped him. And then he could go back down to the minors, get some of that confidence back, get some of that command back. I wonder the second time around if he feels better and more prepared to assume that role if he's needed to. Some guys never develop control. I hope he's one guy that is able and remember how much Adam told us he talked to Oviedo mm-hmm. about how he could be a star. But I wonder how much he has bought into the idea of throwing strikes and using this defense. Because the analytics show us now that you're better off trying to strike a guy out. And that's why a lot of guys nibble. With the Cardinals, 
and Oviedo specifically, if you have Oviedo stuff, it's kind of, I'm not comparing him to Mariano Rivera, but what I can tell you is that Joe Torre, when Mariano Rivera nibbled and got off to a bad start in his career, Torre said, hey, just aim the ball down the plate. It's never going to end up there. So you just aim the ball down the plate, and that's why he became a one-pitch pitcher. That's why he threw that cutter his entire career and aimed it down the middle of the plate and broke a million bats. That's what Oviedo can do, not with one pitch, but whatever he does with his stuff, the ball moves so much, it doesn't matter if he aims it down the middle of the plate. It's not going to wind up there. Just get the ball into the strike zone and use your defense, and it'll be very difficult for the opposition to make hard contact against your stuff if you're Johan Oviedo. I think that's the message for any pitcher coming to the Cardinal staff this year. Look at this defense behind you. This is a historically decorated defense behind you. There's really no one back there that you don't trust. So that has to be, from a confidence standpoint, I would imagine something that's working in his favor, Oviedo. And Michelle, we talk about fast starts, and a fast start would be great. And the Cardinals do open up with four against the Pirates. So they should be able to get off to a fast start. And I put it on Twitter last night, and people disagree with the idea that the Cardinals need to dominate the Pirates, Cubs, and Reds. I think they do. I think if the Cardinals are going to be a playoff team, they need to dominate those three teams specifically because the teams in the East are going to be beaten up on each other. Atlanta, Philadelphia, the Mets, they're going to be beaten up on each other. The Dodgers, Padres, Giants, they're going to be beating up on each other. So the Cardinals only have one team to beat up on each other with, and that's Milwaukee. So what's the Cardinals' competitive advantage? It's beating those teams. And that, to me, is why they need Flaherty to be back ASAP. Because early on in the season, they're going to have... They aren't going to have the walkover games. You do have four against Pittsburgh. Then you have an improved Kansas City team. Then you go to Milwaukee for four. Then you go to the Marlins, and they're always a hassle to deal with. Then you get Cincinnati in town. Before the end of April, you wind up with the Mets and the D-backs. So it's not until later that you get the walkover games where you don't need Flaherty. So somebody's going to need to step up, whether it is Woodford, Libertor, Oviedo. Somebody is going to need to step up and perform well for the Cardinals against good teams. So the question that you posed to us yesterday, is the Cardinals rotation still a strength with Jack Flaherty out? Do you feel like it is? I think it is because I I do think that 60% of the guys and maybe 80% of the guys are good. I think I believe that Dakota Hudson is going to be fine mm-hmm. early in the season, at least. Is he going to be fine down the stretch when he gets past 130 innings? I don't know. But you I think do. There might be some erosion there. Yeah, it's natural. He hasn't yeah. pitched for a, a calendar year plus. So I, I'm confident in, in Wainwright. I'm confident in Hudson. And based upon what I saw down the stretch last year, I'm reasonably confident that Michaelis, he might not be the 18 game winner that he was in his first year back from Japan. But I think Michaelis is a guy that gives you innings and certainly will utilize the defense. So I think you can win with Miles Michaelis. Steven Matz, his profile certainly is one of a pitcher that is at least going to be a guy that gives you innings. And he might be a 12-12 and pitcher for you, but at the back end of the rotation, that's what you're looking for. So yes, I would say relative to the teams that they're playing against, the rotation is a strength. And by the way, with Flaherty at the top of that rotation, I think the rotation, again, relative to everybody else, it can be as deep as anybody's. It can be a great rotation if Flaherty's at the top, at the top of it. But we're looking at the list of guys. Flaherty, who is supposed to be your ace, out for at least a month. Adam Wainwright, who you feel more confident in than maybe anyone on this on this staff. He still is 40, and you really mm-hmm. never know. 
I feel great about him. He's the only person I'm writing in in Sharpie. But I just think that that it's like the piano and the cartoon that's always just kind of hanging over there. It's like, okay, yes, we feel great. But is this ever going to unravel at some point? I don't know. Hopefully not. Miles Michaelis returning from injury. He's he says he feels good. I know that his his velocity is there. He's he what did he say? It feels good to feel good finally. Mm -hmm. But it's still a question mark for me. Steven Matz, as you mentioned, the profile is there. But until I see it in real time, still a question for me. Dakota Hudson returning from injury until I see it. It's still a question for me. And then we don't even know who's going to slide into that other spot. There are options there, but it's still a question for me. So I just think in a year where you were hoping as a Cardinals fan to have a little bit more stability within the rotation, you're left here in a truncated spring training with a lot more questions than answers. But I do think, and, and we tend to focus in on the Cardinals themselves. But if you look at the Dodgers, there are no questions really about Walker Bueller and Julio Urias. But right now, their three, four, five are Kershaw, who's been hurt for the better part of the last three years, Tony Gonsolin, who was hurt all last year, and Andrew Haney, who really hasn't done anything at this level. If you look at the world champion Braves, uh, and I'm just throwing out examples because, again, we focus on our own team. But right now, the Braves' starting rotation is Charlie Morton, who, like Adam, is late 30s, 40. Max Fried, solid. Ian Anderson, he, he had a really good rookie year. And then you Noah and Tucker Davidson at the back end of the rotation. Even the best teams have the same questions that we have about mm-hmm. our team. So that's a good thing. But the problem is, are our guys... I'm not even going to assume they're going to stay healthy. Does our team have enough depth? I don't believe at the moment the Cardinals have enough starting pitching depth. Last year, they were able to go out and get Hap and Lester. Are Hap and Lester on the horizon this year? Nobody knows. That's the big question I have. I I think there are other teams that have a better propensity to go out and get depth pitchers than the Cardinals do. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Take it or leave it on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Michelle and Randy with Matt Rocchio on 101 ESPN. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service 6 line 65780 for take it or leave it. Michelle, it certainly would appear that Baker Mayfield will land with Seattle after the Browns acquisition of Deshaun Watson. Only a couple of teams need quarterbacks, the Panthers and the Seahawks. And as we've mentioned, it doesn't look like at the moment the Panthers are a destination for Baker Mayfield. So take it or leave it. Baker Mayfield lands in Seattle, throwing the ball to Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, handing it off to Chris Carson. By the way, they got Noah Fant in the Russell Wilson trade. Take it or leave it, Baker Mayfield with Seattle has a better year than Deshaun Watson in Cleveland. I'll take that because I think punishment is coming for Deshaun. So I don't think he's going to be there for a full season. And I wonder what... 
he's going to look like after not playing for a year. I wonder what it's he's going to look like with obviously a lot of um, external noise coming mm-hmm. his way. So I, I'm just unsure if we're going to automatically see the Deshaun Watson of old he on doesn't, the field. He, he won't have the surrounding talent that Mayfield would in Seattle. And Mayfield, Shane Waldron, their offensive coordinator, came from the Shanahan-McVay school where it's a really quarterback-friendly offense. I think Mayfield could thrive in that offense, and especially with those targets. Now, do they need to get him a left tackle? Yes, but I think they will. And I really think that Mayfield has a chance to be better in Seattle than Watson would, if Seattle gets him, than Watson would in Cleveland. I could see it. I wonder if you're Carolina, who you prefer, Jimmy G or Baker? I would take Jimmy G because of what we were talking about before. The, he brings, he, Jimmy G is a guy that helps your culture. I don't think at this stage of his career, Baker Mayfield does. But the culture in Seattle is set by Pete Carroll. Correct. But both of the guy, both of those guys have been dealing with injuries. Baker wasn't healthy for a mm-hmm. huge portion of last season. And it just seems like teams, despite the fact that he's constantly putting his team in a position to succeed at the highest level, aren't all that sold on Jimmy Garoppolo. So I'm just curious if I could be a fly on the wall in those discussions in Carolina, if they actually have less questions from a football standpoint about Baker than they do about Jimmy. They both throw really untimely interceptions a lot. Yes, they do. (laughs) Yes, they do. So we talked earlier in the show about the latest bombshell report about Urban Meyer. This one's saying that he didn't know who some of the biggest stars in the league were, including one Aaron Donald. Now, this comes on the heels of the culture that we knew that existed at Florida, the culture that we knew that existed at Ohio State. Many reports about the toxicity in Jacksonville, including the fact that he kicked players, missed the team plane to grind on a young lady at a bar, and the fact that he was horrific to his staff, even making some of them cry. But take it or leave it, Urban Meyer will coach in college football again one day. I'm going to leave that. At his age, with his health history, with what he would command financially, and with the Blue Bloods having pretty much filled their jobs with established guys that I would expect will be successful, I'm going to leave that. I don't think that there's uh, school, unless he wants to go back to a Bowling Green or something like that, I don't think there's a school that rolls the dice on this. I don't know. He's only 57. He's 57 years old. It's an old 57. We know the health issue, issues ex- exist. Cayman, he, he acts like a youngster. That's true. Young, young at heart. heart. <laughs> young at heart, for sure. Young on the dance floor, we'll put it that way. But if I if I know anything about Urban Meyer and I know anything about college football, Urban Meyer is going to not want to go out like this. There's no way that he thinks that this is going to be the end of the story. For all intents and purposes, this is someone that has a very high opinion of himself and probably doesn't think that he did anything wrong. And so I imagine he's eager to get the opportunity to change the narrative on himself. And look at college football, Randy. How many programs out there are so desperate to win? Maybe the ones with the big pocketbook aren't existing right now, but there will be an opening and there will be some time after all of the dust is kind of settled with Urban that we hear his name in connection with a big time hire. I'm telling you. Do you believe 
if he doesn't believe he did anything wrong, that he needs to do some soul searching and rehabilitation before somebody would hire him? Or can the one that we read about yesterday in The Athletic be hired by a college football program? We just saw Deshaun Watson with 22 civil cases of sexual harassment and assault get the most guaranteed money in NFL history. Winning is all that matters for these people. And Urban Meyer is a winner. Maybe not in life, but in football. He is a winner. And he could say all of that. I've done some soul searching. Jacksonville was a mistake, but look at my track record in college. I just think that in two to three years, when we haven't heard from him for a while, that his name will get brought up. I wonder if our friends at Nebraska would embrace Urban That looks like a great fit. I mean, couldn't you see them? They're they're so dead. They moved to the Big Ten. No one ever talks about mm-hmm. them yet. This is a fan base that constantly leans on the the olden days of when they were good. They're desperate to be a relevant program again. And there's an AD out there, Randy, that's crazy enough to roll the dice on Urban. I'm telling you this because you know what he'll say. He's going to leave the program in a better spot than he found it, probably from a talent standpoint. And guess what? It's going to get everybody talking about us. All press is good press. Someone will say that. I disagree with that notion, but someone will say, guess what they're going to be talking about on every sports show in in America? Nebraska football. Let me give you another spot. Even better than Nebraska. More logical, more likely. Auburn. They, They love to throw around money at Auburn. They're ready to fire Brian Harson now after one year. But we know that Urban has um, a preference, though, for Nebraska. That's true. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> All right. What do we have on the text line, uh, Matthew? Take it or leave it. Matt Ryan makes Indy the favorite in that division. Indy, Jacksonville, Houston, Tennessee. I'm going to take that. I'll take that, too. And Tennessee's really good, and they're going to be good. They're well coached. But look how close Indy was last year with went and all the issues that they were dealing with. I was just going to say, didn't we always say Indy last year was a quarterback away, yeah. <laughs> essentially? Yep. So, yeah, I, I think it's going to be neck and neck between Indy and Tennessee, but I could definitely see Indy getting the better of them this year. And the Colts need to draft an explosive wide receiver. But they've got the running game, they've got the offensive line, they've got the defense, and they've got Matt Ryan. So if they can get that wide receiver and build some depth through the draft, yes, they can be pretty darn good. Take it or leave it. Tommy Tommy Edmond will be playing the majority of his time at shortstop this season with Nolan Gorman moving in to play the majority of innings at second base. Totally leave it. Paul DeYoung? Yeah, DeYoung and Sosa. It'll it'll take a lot for Tommy Edmond to get moved over to shortstop by this team. Yeah, because even if you give Paul DeYoung to flag day Mm -hmm. and it doesn't work out, then you're still going to give Edmond to Sosa the opportunity. Yeah. But I know, I know what the Cardinals are probably looking at that as their third option or the break-in-case-of-emergency option. Why move a gold-glove second baseman? Great question. For a guy who has played very little second base in Gorman, I, I would prefer to play defense. That's what they do well. Stick to what you do well. Speaking of the end of the season and some positivity, take it or leave it. By the end of the year, Dylan Carlson is the Cardinals' most impressive offensive player. We'll leave that. What if I added in the caveat, not named Goldschmidt or Arenado? I'm going to leave that because I still think it might be Tyler O'Neill. I agree with that. I would th- agree with you, Michelle. That's a very good point. Uh, Nick, uh, t- take it or leave it. Letty gets on the scoreboard tonight, assisting Barbie on an odd man rush. <laughs> specific. I'm going to leave it because of the specific- specificity of the text. Well, what if it's just he gets on the board tonight? Welcome welcome to the blues, buddy. I'm like going to leave it. We're doing. I hope he does, but I'm going to leave it. I'm going to take it. Why not? It'll be a great story. Five one caps. (laughs) All right.
5.51 caps. Good Lord. Also, uh, in I'm getting accused of being too uh, optimistic here. On Why? The- because you're, you said that you're feeling good about the Cardinals rotation. You still think it's the strength after I ran through it yeah. and said I have question marks on everyone but Adam Wainwright. I was a little shocked by that. Yeah. That and let's see. What was the other one? I feel pretty good about Matt's too. That one's okay. Yeah. Generally, uh, we had a texter in here who was very confused by Michelle's reference to the cartoon, the piano hanging out over their head. Take it or leave it. Uh, who doesn't know the Looney Tunes? Like, uh, like who no, doesn't know? Who doesn't know that? You know, I will take and leave it because I think there's probably an entire generation that never watched Looney Tunes. I don't know how old so. the texter is. That's, you know, maybe they fair. know Looney Tunes through the LeBron version of Space Jam. I don't wow. know. I didn't think I was going to feel old in the, in, in, in the eight o'clock hour, in the seven o'clock hour today, but there it is. And it's National Golf Day. Take it or leave it. Mm. This is the holiday that Randy celebrates at least twice daily. <laughs> Not daily, but yeah, I'll take it. I do celebrate it every year. You don't think about or take an action towards golf every day. Every, okay, twice daily. I do. You know what I'm saying? Whether you're putting or you're googling something or you're out at the driving range, I would say you think about golf at least twice a day. There is no doubt that me and Rob Manfred have that in common. Yeah, I know. So. I've, I've seen you many times practicing your swing. I'm actually surprised you're not standing up practicing it right now. I call him Manny, and at some point. Manny. Yeah, me and Manny. Man what for- do you think about this Yankees, this Yankees thing that's out there, unsealing the letter? Why not? Unseal right? it. Why I'm not? all for it. Yeah, Let's pro- go. Provide us some fodder. We like fodder. Yes, we do. We love fodder here in the morning. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Randy. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, uh, 101 ESPN, what does the Blues deal about Nick Letty? Tell us about what Doug Armstrong thinks about this team. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Carriker and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by the Schnooks Rewards app. Check out Good For You, a free wellness program available in the app today. I think the statement that will be made at the end of the day, one way or the other, I mean, is that we'll find out just how much he really believes in this team right now based on what he does. If he thinks that this team is a move away from really making a push, I think he'll make it. We're third in the conference and and we have a good team. Uh, We're not playing particularly well right now uh, and we have to get through that. But I believe that the guys are going to get through that. I find it fascinating. Uh, You know, we should be all in now. And then you're going to write an article next week that they got no prospects. <laughs> so, I mean, you can't, you can't be all in on everything all the time. Doug Armstrong yesterday on the heels of the trade that sent Oscar Sundquist, Jake Wallman, and a second rounder to Detroit for Nick Letty, the defenseman, the left-handed shot defenseman the Blues have been looking for. He mentioned yesterday when he had that press conference, the Blues were third in the conference. As they wake up this morning, Michelle, they're the number one wild card team in the Western Conference. If the playoffs started today, the Blues would play Calgary. They're behind Minnesota and Nashville now in the Central Division standings. However... The trade for Letty in giving up a guy like Sunquist, who's been a key member of a Stanley Cup champion, in giving up a second rounder for next year, tells me that Doug Armstrong does think this team has a chance to do some damage in the playoffs. Did they go all in? Did they do what Boston did to get Hampus Lindholm? No. But they did as much as they felt comfortable doing to try to make this team better. 
it is a very difficult balance beam that Doug Armstrong is trying to walk because he has this window to win open and wants to maximize that while he can because if anybody knows how hard it is to win a Stanley Cup, it's the St. Louis Blues. So if you have a team that you believe is even a little bit capable of that, you want to go for it, but you also don't want to completely ruin yourself from a financial or a depth uh, perspective. Like Army said, they are still looking at their prospects. They want to make sure to try to keep this window open as long as possible. So it's a difficult dance that he had to do. I'm not surprised that he wasn't willing to meet the asking price of some of the bigger names out there. And this seems like it was a more comfortable space for Doug Armstrong to be in. And even though so many people are bummed out today that Oscar Sundquist had to be a part of that, had to be a casualty of that, he has been dealing with injuries and hasn't been the same Sonny since. So it's a, a tough pill to swallow to see somebody like Sonny, who was such an important part of a championship team, who was the engine of this team at times go. But I understand why Doug Armstrong made the move. And Michelle, it's really interesting when you talk about the window, because on the day that the Blues made the trade for Ryan O'Reilly and they signed Perron and signed Bozak and throughout that season, Doug Armstrong talked about a five-year window of opportunity for the Blues to win. And that obviously included Alex Petrangelo. They didn't know that the heart condition would cause Jay Bomeister to have to retire. But now you've got Shen and Perron and uh, and uh, Ryan O'Reilly approaching or moving beyond their 30th birthdays. You've got Colton Pareko closing in on 30 years old. You go out and get a Letty who's on the other side of 30. But the Blues also have, in addition to Robert Thomas and to Jordan Cairo. They have Scott Perunovich. They have Jake Neighbors. They have picks. So while they're in the midst of the fourth year of this five-year window, Armstrong is also opening a new window of opportunity for the St. Louis Blues. It is important because, you know, I look at a guy like Neighbors, who's obviously a highly sought-after commodity. Uh, I have him penciled in, if not on our team, right out of the training camp, very close. And I think one of the things that, that and, and I give full credit to our amateur staff, that's well beyond my uh, scope of expertise, but, you know, we, we don't have to go, JR, to a total, you know, 60-point rebuild because they found Cairo and Thomas at areas of the draft that usually don't find players you build around. And so because we have those two players and we can grow with them, I think we're able to, to, to get these younger players up and running. And at some point, like we did, with Shattenkirk and Stastny, we may have to move veteran players around for 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 picks to try and exploit that. But uh, our, our older players aren't quite old yet. Uh, you know, they're they're not they're certainly not young. But you know, 29, 30, 31 is still a very competitive age in the NHL, uh, especially with expansion. Expansion always tacks on at 12 to 16 months uh, to a good player's career. Now, Michelle, what I took out of that is. I'm Doug Armstrong, and if there comes a point where I have to trade Ryan O'Reilly or Braden Shen, I'm going to do it for the betterment of our team. Just like I did with David Backus, just like I did with TJ Oshie, just like mm-hmm. I was prepared to move on from Alex Petrangelo and eventually did. Yep. Stastny. Stastny. I mean, the list is endless. Doug Armstrong is maybe the best I've ever seen at compartmentalizing emotion and compartmentalizing Mm -hmm. past accomplishments and compartmentalizing what a player means to a franchise and look at what it got the Blues. Look at the position that they're in. It is, I'm sure, very difficult to do because you get to know these people, not just the players. And 
for somebody like Oscar Sundquist, how hard was it probably to let go of the notion that, well, he hasn't been healthy, but he could be healthy again? And is this is this a player that right. I really want to move on from if he has the capability to be the engine again? But that's why Doug Armstrong sits in that chair. And that's why we constantly say an army we trust, because he has a better viewpoint of this and a, a less emotional viewpoint of this than we do. So I, tr- I trust him completely. And Michelle, if, if you look back at the Blues drafts and they have drafted low, they don't have top 10 picks. They really like Zach Bolduke, last year's number one pick. He mentioned Jake Neighbors. Everybody that the Blues talked to in trade talks asked about Jake Neighbors. Everybody mm-hmm. wants him. Uh, a guy like Alexandrov, who was a second rounder but was their first pick in 2019, is doing good things for them. Traded Dominic Bach in the Falk trade. That wound up working out well for them. Robert Thomas and Clem Costin. Thomas, obviously, very productive for the Blues. Uh, they got Ryan O'Reilly for Tage Thompson, who had been a number one pick. They've done really well under Doug Armstrong generally speaking, with their top picks. And that's why he wanted to keep his number one this year because he wants to maintain a a wide open window of competitiveness for the Blues. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And that's today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, talk more Blues with Darren Pang of Bally next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Blues booth. Boardwalk Hardwood Floors has great floors for every home with locations in West County, South County, St. Charles County, and our new location in Mid County. And online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Michelle and Randy with you, and we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and our friend Darren Pang of Valley Sports and of TNT joins us as he does every Tuesday morning. Good morning, Panger. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I'm just watching uh, some hockey highlights here in my hotel room in Washington and uh, getting ready to go to the morning skate. So all good after a busy day yesterday. It was a busy day. What did you think of the Blues deal? You know, it was a very unique circumstance, uh, I think, for a lot of us. Um, to be honest with you, before I dive into the, the deal, the human element of, uh, of trades and what these players go through, but we were just about to uh, take off on the plane and, and head to Washington when, uh, when the, you know, when uh, the news, you know, not broke, but the players got a phone call from Doug Armstrong. And, you know, so both Jake Wallman and uh, Oscar Sundquist uh, said their goodbyes going down the uh, aisle of the plane and, uh, you know, tough moments. Uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I think that puts it into perspective too, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. When you, you know, just think of, think you're heading somewhere. And I, I know everybody's aware of the deadline, but in, in going back through it, um, you know, it's quite apparent that, uh, that the Blues need was on the left side. Um, so they needed to, they needed to make a move. Doug Armstrong, you know, made a move that uh, dollar in, dollar out that they, you know, they, they fit in and Detroit gets by or takes care of half the salary of, of Nick Letty to make it work. And, the Blues lose, uh, you know, two good players. I mean, Jake Wallman grew up here in the organization, um, but he wasn't going to fulfill that top four need that the Blues needed on the left side. Those are just the facts. So hopefully he can go to Detroit and, and kind of find a, another spot and grow as a defenseman in the NHL. And Oscar Sundquist is a, I mean, that leaves a big void. I mean, that's a different story than Jake. And uh, uh, you can't compare the two. Um, so, you know, he'll be greatly missed. He's not been his healthy self. We know that. He's gone through multiple surgeries. Um, so one of the best penalty killers uh, that we've seen in a while here in St. Louis, and a real heart and soul guy. So 
certainly going to miss that. Other guys are going to get an opportunity. But at the end of the day, right now, um, you know, Nick Letty's the he's the best player of the trade, and he's exactly what the Blues needed on that left side. So very happy for the, you know, for the players, guys like Justin Falk that know Nick Letty well. Brandon Saad won a championship with him, so I know they were pretty excited to hear that Nick Letty was coming our way. So, Panger, you do think the Blues are in a, b- a better position today after this trade? Mm-hmm. Michelle, for sure. I mean, we, we, you know, we need to shore up the defending part of it. That, that's how you win hockey games. You, you don't win hockey games run and gun and, and cheating out of your own zone and thinking you're going to send an 85-foot spiral pass to somebody on a breakaway. We know that. It doesn't work in playoff hockey. It's not going to work uh, in the end, end of March and early April. So how do you win? You win with good, hard defending. You, you, you win the game and you win series by, by being able to uh, stop the cycle and stop the rush and, and protect the front of your net. So Nick's a solid, solid defenseman. He's a, he's a, he's a workout machine. He's a, a guy that can skate the puck out. Um, you know, he, he's, he's not going to be somebody that's you know, going to cross-check in the mouth and watch you bleed, but he's pretty darn good at, uh, at boxing out and, and making sure that that front of the net is taken care of. Panger, a couple of things. Number one, uh, in regards to Sunquist, you mentioned the injuries and the fact that he, he was making $2.75 million and the Blues had to move somebody off their roster that was making money. But Doug Armstrong in the past has moved guys that have been coming off of injuries that were never the same. And we, we all hope that Oscar Sunquist returns to the form that he displayed here. But it certainly seems possible that he doesn't, when you have a couple of hip injuries and an ACL, seems possible that he might not ever be the same guy he was there's always that possibility um you know i'm i'm a guy that uh, retired from the game because of two torn acls um you know it's a that's a very very difficult uh, and challenging injury let alone uh, two hip labrums um so it takes time i mean I, and i think it takes time it takes commitment um to your conditioning that you've got to be in the best shape you've ever been in um you can afford to you know, to have a few pounds here or there on when you're, in, you know, when you're like healthy limb wise. But you're, you're right about that, Randy. There's, there, there's no guarantees. But, um, you know, I saw some games this year where, boy, I said Oscar's back. And there was mm-hmm. a couple lately where I saw, you know, Barbashev, uh, Sunquist, and the other number 20, of course, <laughs> we always think of Alexander Steen, but Brandon saw it. And I said, man, that could be that line. And, uh, and so, yeah, you, you know, we all hope that Oscar, Oscar's a beloved guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, inside the locker room and and uh, and clearly outside. So yeah, yeah. There's there's there is always that chance. But I, I mean, Army. I don't think wanted that move. I don't think that was the one move that Army wanted. I think you know he's. But he had to move some whatever the contract was. He had to move it out, and it had to have a you know a, anyway. So it ends up being Oscar Sundquist. So I'm happy that he goes to Detroit. There's a lot of real good up and coming young Swedes. And uh, even their leadership. I mean, Nick Lidstrom is uh, their assistant uh, manager. You've got uh, Cronwall. You've got so anyway. They've got their hands full with a bunch of Swedes, and and old uh, Oscar Sundquist is going to fit right in there. And then the other question, as you mentioned, opportunities for other people. Who particularly intrigues Darren Pang that will get more minutes than they did when Sonny was here? Well, there are some young players that we're going to see, whether it be. Uh, you know, whether it be a Dakota Joshua or um, a Nathan Walker, um, you know, coming up from the minors. I, th- I think we've got to see more from Mackenzie McEachern and, and Torpchenko scored his first goal in the last game. You know, I think that the key is they have to continue to elevate their game. It, it can't be 
one good one and, and a couple of okay ones. Uh, you know, it's got to be forging forward. So, and whoever gets recalled from the minors, which we have plenty of depth down there. So, like I mentioned, Dakota Joshua is a centerman. Uh, I thought when he was up the last time, he started out well. Um, but as it went along, he needed to show more. And that, those are just the facts. I mean, just because you're up here and you're in the locker room and you're flying on a, on a private plane at great hotels, that's not it. That's just the beginning of it. So uh, that's what I'd like to see is a little bit more jump and a little bit more urgency and a little bit more edge to their game. Um, because when you're replacing Sunquist, you're replacing valuable five on five minutes. You're replacing a player that uh, was our top penalty killer or one of our top penalty killers. So some of these young players have to step in there and, t- and take and have that opportunity and seize that opportunity to step in. Last thing for me, Panger, I want to stick on Sonny here for a second. He is beloved in St. Louis, as you mentioned. He was such an important component to that Stanley Cup championship team. When you reflect back on Oscar Sundquist during that run, what type of player was he and how important was he to the Blues' success? Oh, incredible. And, and I'm going to tell you, Michelle, because uh, I don't want to seem like a hypocrite. It's not like the first time I saw Oscar Sun- Sundquist, I thought he was the greatest player in the world I, I swear to it and I've said this to him um, and I said it to Joe Vitale who's his good buddy they grew up together playing in Pittsburgh and in the minors I, I said this is the guy you're talking about I said I, I don't I, I said I'm not sure if he's a major junior a player like I, I don't I don't I don't get it is what I because you know when you first look at a guy you're like his skating looks clunky his shot doesn't look that hard his blob you know I, I, I kind of <laughs> went through the gam of it all and I kept saying to Army I go like, Harvey, I, I think you could wave that guy and you'd be fine. You'll get him back. He's like, no, you'll be surprised how many teams love this guy. And I'm like, and so then, of course, you see a player and you see the intangibles and you see the grit and you see the shot block and you see how the players put their arm around the guy and you see that he's a better playmaker. I'm like, man, that guy makes a good pass. That guy's smart. That guy does. So anyway, you talk about a guy that totally won me over. That, that's Oscar Sundquist. And, and if every young player can take just one ounce, one inch, one half a pound of what Oscar Sundquist brought to the table every night, then we'll be a good team going forward. Penger, I'm glad that you validate what I thought in that first year that Sunquist was here because you know what you're talking about. I, I don't always know what I'm talking about, but that makes me feel good that you thought the same thing. And I said that I thought that was the most impressive improvement by a blue that I'd ever seen because I, I didn't think he was that good that first year, but man, he turned into, he turned himself into a really, really, really good player. Yeah. I give, I give Kevin McDonald, who's the assistant GM that runs the American league team and has for years here uh, with the St. Louis Blues, never gets enough credit, but these are the, Rob DeMaio, you know, Kevin McDonald, they're the pro scouts. They're the guys that at the end of the day, when Doug Armstrong's saying yes to Oscar Sundquist and Robert Bortuzzo or whatever, those guys put their stamp on it because they've watched them in the American Hockey League, you know, not just once or twice, but a hundred times. So, yeah, they, but, you know, I guess it does go to show you that um, it's not the flashiest, cleanest looking car. Um, It's the engine inside the car and it's the character that uh, that's inside the car. And the last thing, Panger, you talked about defense. I think that Letty turns Colton Pareko into a better right side defenseman. I, I'm fine with Krug and Falk, and then I really like Mikola as a third pairing guy with Bortuzzo. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's the way it looks right now. Um, I think that that's been the goal all along is to find a you know find a big, good, steady, um, reliable, dependable guy that goes beside Pareko. Listen, there's been times where Marco Scandella has been that guy, and there's been maybe more times where Mikola has been that guy. Uh, but I think this really helps Mikola's 
progress too. Like when we're getting down into playoffs, a playoff series, and let's say the Blues are in that number two or number three hole, and we're playing the, you know, the Minnesota North Stars as an example, or the National Predators. Um, you know, it's going to be every single night uh, that that uh, you're getting the same matchups, and you're going to get the same animosity, and you've got to be strong as a pillar, and you've got to be able to, you know, make the simple things. They'll have a book on you. You'll have a book on them. Uh, but but I do believe that Nick Letty and, and Colton Pareko, I'm not going to throw it into Jane Bowmeister Pareko, but, but I think they're going to complement each other extremely well. Panger, always good to hear your voice. Thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it. And we'll be tuned in tonight on Bally Sports for the Blues and the Caps. Yeah, I look forward to it. Thanks, guys. Take care. Have Thank a great day. You too, Panger. Uh, Darren Pang with us on 101 ESPN. So, Michelle, I, I've got that, those defense pairings that I mentioned. Right now, as I try to put together lines, I'm assuming the Blues will call up Joshua. And... They're only going to play with 11 forwards tonight because they don't have Tarasenko or Thomas mm-hmm. healthy. But I believe when they're healthy, I feel good about O'Reilly centering Peron and Barbashev. I'm okay, really okay, with Thomas between Tarasenko and Buchnevich. And then Shen, Kairou, and probably Logan Brown on the left side there with Saad and Toropchenko between Dakota Joshua. I, I like all of those lines. And when we talk about waves of players coming at you, I think that group right there is capable of doing some damage when you get to the postseason. Let's go. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. The fight is coming your way next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on character and small men. In the red corner, average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Character. It's time for the Tuesday edition of the fight on character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. Let's get a time check, shall we? It's 8.36 in St. Louis. That time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Let's see. Who is Randy's competition today? It is Dan. Dan is joining us here on 101 ESPN to fight Megamind. What's up, Dan? How's your morning going so far? It's going good, Michelle. How about you? I'm doing all right, thanks. Are you ready to take on Randy in the fight? Yeah, do you mind if I give a quick shout-out? No, Dan. The opportunity to shout-out is always there. Go for it. All right, to another loyal 101 ESPN listener, Travis Crocker, and a huge Blues fan. Shout out to Travis. Thanks for listening. Hopefully your buddy Dan can bring home a victory today. That's awesome. All right, Dan, are you ready to go? I'm ready. Okay, good luck. Question number one. Happy birthday to Bob Costas. Which St. Louis team's games did Costas call his first years while working in town? Was it the St. Louis Hawks, the Spirits of St. Louis, or the St. Louis Billikens? I'm going to go with the Hawks. In the infamous MV3 year of 2004, Barry Bonds took home the NL MVP award with Pujols, Roland, and Edmonds finishing 3, 4, and 5 respectively. Who finished second in the 2004 NL MVP voting? Was it Jim Tomey, Lance Berkman, or Adrian Beltre? All good batters. Um... Tommy would have played for Philadelphia. What was Adrian Beltre you said? And the second one was... Lance Berkman. Berkman. I'm going to go Berkman. Houston was pretty good back then. 
Question number three, Dan, only four players in NBA history have averaged over 25 points and 10 rebounds in their careers. Well, Chamberlain, Bob Pettit, Carl Malone did it. Who is the fourth? Is it Elgin Baylor, Tim Duncan, or Charles Barkley? Can you repeat the question and cut out on my end? Sure, absolutely. Only four players in NBA history have averaged over 25 points and 10 rebounds in their careers. Will Chamberlain, Bob Pettit, and Carl Malone are three. Who is the fourth? Is it Elgin Baylor, Tim Duncan, or Charles Barkley? I'm going to go Tim Duncan. And J.J. Watt finished second in MVP voting in 2014 while racking up 20.5 sacks, four forced fumbles, and an interception on defense while also contributing how many receiving touchdowns as a goal line tight end? Two, three, or four? I don't know. Let's go two. Okay, checking, checking Dan's score here. Waving in Randy. Dan, how are you feeling about the fight today? Um, I don't know. <laughs> when you feel confident, you're not right. When you don't feel confident, then you are right. So I guess I'm not feeling confident. Oh, come on. You don't remember J.J. Watt's stat line that year in 2014? I know you do, Dan. Uh, no, not really. <laughs> Randy, say good morning to Dan. Good morning, Dan. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. How about you, Randy? I'm doing well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. You bet. All right, Randy, are you ready to go? I'm ready. Megamind is locked in. And I think you're going to know this first one. Okay. Happy birthday to Bob Costas, our guy. Yeah. Holy cow. I was thinking about Bob this morning because I have to text text him. He's 70. Today? Yeah. Happy birthday, Bob. Big one. I wonder what he's doing to celebrate. We'll have to find out. I'm sure he's doing something fun. Because you're texting him, I'm assuming, so we can talk to him for the home opener? That is correct, yeah, yes. Yeah, I love it. Which we do every year. Mm-hmm. It's a tradition here on Carriker and Smallman. Which St. Louis team's games did Costas call his while working in town for his first few years? He was the voice of the spirits of St. Louis. I ain't getting on any time machine. <laughs> One of the best 30 for 30s of all time. Yeah, yes, so, so good. good. Uh, me Coke. Uh, in the infamous MV3 year of 2004, Barry Bonds took home the award in the NL with Pujols, Roland, and Edmonds finishing three, four, and five, respectively, in the voting. Who finished second in the 2004 NL MVP voting? 2004 NL MVP. So the Cardinals won a bunch of games. The Astros were great. Um... Hmm. I guess I'll do the lifeline here. Was it Jim Tomey, Lance Berkman, or Adrian Beltre? Okay, this this definitely does narrow it down to three. <laughs> uh, Those are three names. They are. I'm always worried when I give the options, I'll narrow it down to two for people on accident. Tomey, Beltre, or Berkman. Houston was really, really good and obviously played against the Cardinals in the NLCS. Uh, Tommy must have been with Philadelphia and hit a bunch of home runs. And I don't even remember who Beltre was with that year. Uh, Well, he must have been with the Doyers, but he didn't have good years with the Doyers. He had one good year with the Doyers. Um, They got him a big contract in Seattle. I will go with Adrian Beltre. 
Randy, only four players in NBA history have averaged over 25 points and 10 rebounds in their careers. Wilt Chamberlain, Bob Pettit, and Carl Malone are three. Who's the fourth? 25 and 10. Mm-hmm. Chamberlain, Pettit, and who was the other one? Carl Malone. Carl Malone. 25 and 10. I don't think Russell got to that level. I am going to guess, and this is a total guess on my part. Well, hold on. Maybe I shouldn't do that. So I've got my own little life, uh, my own little lifeline here. Oh, okay. Explain, please. Well, Tim Duncan, but I don't think he got to 25 points. Definitely 10 rebounds. Akeem is going to be really close here. Um, I don't think Russell was close to 25 a game. So, and I don't... Frank Cusimano and I were talking about Ralph Sampson the other night, how he averaged 20 and 10 for his first few years, but it wasn't 25. Of course, you were talking about Ralph Sampson. Um, so I am going to... I don't think David Robinson was there. So I'm going to... This is just a total guess on my part. But I'm going to go... Oh, you know what? I'm going to change that answer. I'm going to go with Shaq. And J.J. Watt finished second in MVP voting in 2014 while racking up 20.5 sacks, four forced fumbles, and an interception on defense. He also contributed how many receiving touchdowns as a goal line tight end that year? J.J. Watt, 2014 season? 2014. I'll go with three. It was a blowout in the fight today, I'm going to be honest. It was an absolute blowout. <laughs> one nil? One nil? Matt, ring the bell. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Just win, baby. I'm sorry, Dan, but Randy beat you three to nothing. He was in his bag today. Yeah, I didn't feel too good about it. <laughs> but you know what, Dan? We loved having you on the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. And again, shout out to your buddy, Travis. Yeah, thank you, guys. Take care. <sighs> Randy, Randy, Randy. Yeah, let's hear the answers because okay. I'm intrigued. I don't know any of them. All right, Bob Costas did call the games for the Spirits of oh, St. I didn't Louis, know that one. Yeah. Famously. <laughs> that was right after uh, his time at Syracuse, right? Exactly. Was that yeah. his first gig? Yeah, sent yeah. in a doctored tape to Mr. Highland to get That's the job. My Unreal. favorite story is how he doctored the tape. That's yeah. great. Unreal. And the famous MV3 year of 2004, Barry Bonds took home the National League MVP award. Pujols, Rollins, and Roland and Edmonds finished third, fourth, and fifth, but it was Adrian Beltre who finished second that year. He had like 49 home runs, right? Yeah. Those are the Dodgers. In the 2004 National League MVP voting, four players in NBA history have averaged over 25 points and 10 rebounds for their careers. Wilt Chamberlain, Bob Pettit, Carl Malone, and Elgin Baylor. Oh, okay. Elgin Baylor. And the year that J.J. Watt finished second in MVP voting was 2014. He racked up 20 and a half sacks, four forced fumbles, and an interception on defense while also contributing three receiving touchdowns as a goal line, as a goal line tight end. What a year. Texans used to be good back in the day. They did. They they, they had like 
four division championships in five years. He scored five touchdowns that year. He picked one of those yeah. forced fumbles. He took back for a touchdown. And he took the interception back as Unreal. well. Ridiculous. Has there ever been a more irrelevant, really good team than the Houston Texans? I mean, they were that loaded year? with talent for the, a stretch of five years. Watt was great. DeAndre Hopkins was great. Matt Schaub. Yeah. Uh, you mean in, in the NFL? Yeah, a, f- a five-year stretch where, and maybe it was at the same time the Bengals. The Bengals were always winning in the playoffs then, too, mm-hmm. under Marvin Lewis. But just really irrelevant relative to the rest of, and part of it was the Patriots. You got Patriots, yeah, Steelers. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, they I'm just, trying to think if there's any other team that pops out. It's hard to have a five-year stretch where you're in the playoffs most of the time and nobody really cares. Yeah, I was just going to say because most other fan bases we would talk about well, naturally. Schottenheimer Chargers? See, but they had the quarterback. Maybe have the that Jags was a, ever had a stretch? Yeah, but they they had, you know, Brunel. They had, they, they were Did we talk about them that much? Well, because they were Super Bowl contenders. You never thought of Houston, even though they yeah. were in the playoffs. It was like Super their Bowl second contenders. year as an expansion team, too, yeah. when they went to the AFC yeah. title game. Maybe the, th- the thing with the Texans was that they didn't have the quarterback. Maybe. We just didn't talk about them because Matt Schaub was not really a sexy quarterback. That's Michelle. I'm Randy Matthews here. Coming up, Claves in Florida on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy, and let's head down to Jupiter, where the Cardinals have spring training underway, and they have yet to lose a game. Mike Claiborne is there. You can hear Mike on Cardinal Broadcast, and of course, you can see his great work at Claves Online at YouTube, or if you just go to the social medias and look for Claves Online, you can find it. Good morning, Claves. How you doing? I'm doing well. We're here Roger Dean waiting on the uh, Cardinals and the Marlins for the first of their uh, series against each other in the spring. They share the complex, so... It's a home game for us and a road game for them, and it makes everybody comfortable compared to last night. Well, Clabe, since you're down there and you've been watching the games, who's someone that stuck out to you? Who's been making an impact so far in spring training? Well, you know, i got to tell you, Andrew Kisner has shown me something. Uh, you know, he's going to play a lot more this year, obviously, and the way he's handling pitchers and the way he's swinging the bat, he's a guy that, you know, you kind of notice. Um, the rest of the cast of characters, you know, Arnado's Arnado, Goldschmidt's Goldschmidt. Dylan Carlson's had some good at-bats as well. So those would be the, the early leaders of people that we're going to see in 2022. Uh, there's some other young players that are trying to find their way. So I give it another three or four days, and I'll have even more players to tell you about. What about Lars Newbar? It seems like he's been kind of a breakout yeah. guy so far. Good call. Very good call. He has played well. Uh, played center field. Um on Sunday, nothing to it. It was just one. I'm sorry, he played center field last night in uh, West Palm Beach. And you know what? He he isn't doing anything to hurt himself. You know, he's a hard worker. He runs the bases well. He's solid defensively. And I think one of the elements about him that I've noticed is he is making adjustments while he's in the batter's box instead of trying to figure it out after the bat is over with. And uh, that, that's a nice trait to have at this point, especially in the spring. Claves were only a couple of weeks from the opener against the Pirates here at Bush Stadium, and obviously the pitchers aren't going to be up to speed. What do you think that Oliver Marmol and Mike Maddox are hoping for in terms of innings when they start the season? Is it going to be hoping for a four-inning start or something like that? I think you'll see some piggyback combinations where if you can get two guys that give you four innings apiece, it, it saves the bullpen. 
uh, a lot uh, because you can overwork a bullpen. And I think San Diego the Padres were a classic example last year when they uh, used their bullpen up. And by the time July 4th rolled around, they didn't have anybody who could pitch. So I think you'd like to have a minimum amount of, of three guys pitch it per game. Uh, you don't want to extend it too much because you get too deep in the bullpen and having guys throw every day or every other day, that'll wear you down. So uh, I, I look at them trying to get at least four out of their starters initially. And let's not worry about the wins or any of that stuff. Let's just try and get some games and some innings, some quality innings done before we start worrying about anything else. And Claves, as opposed to last year when they started the season with Gant and Oviedo made his way into the rotation, it does seem like they have a more efficient group with a healthy Michaelis, with Wayno. Steven Matz has shown himself to be efficient over the years. We, we know that Hudson is a guy that pitches to the defense. So maybe the Cardinals will be ahead of the game because of their defense and more of a pitch-to-contact mentality than both teams have right now. I would agree with you, Randy. Um, you know, we've gotten away from we're going to try and strike out 18 guys tonight. We're going to let them hit it because they have enough guys who can catch it and do the right thing with it. And I think that's the approach they're going to go with, and it's going to be a healthy one because last year I think we saw firsthand what happens when you try and strike everybody out. You end up, you end up walking everybody. And uh, I don't ever want to see what I saw last year again. That was just brutal to watch, and it just it taxed the staff. But we did get a couple of things out of it. We got T.J. McDonald out of it. He did a nice job in throwing strikes where he ended up getting the contract. Luis Garcia, who's now in San Diego, he was a guy who threw strikes, and it worked out for him. So uh, bottom line is just let them hit it. You know, you're all, all low-ball hitters, low-ball pitchers, rather. So they'll be in a position with a good defense behind them. They'll be in pretty good shape. Claims, we know the Cardinals are going to start the season without Jack Flaherty on the mound. And there was some clarification that needed to happen based on the injury and what he was dealing with. John Mozalek and the Cardinals mentioned the slap tear. Jack took to social media to re-clarify the comments saying, I just wanted to let everybody know that that's been something I've been dealing with for a while. This is just inflammation. What's your read on how those comments were perceived and how this all went down with Jack Flaherty? And then the second part is how concerned are you about this inflammation and or injury as the season goes? on well let's start from the back end i'm not concerned um i had a visit with him and you know it's just one of those things um you know jack takes good care of himself physically i think one of the things he had to take into account this whole injury thing for him was something he'd never experienced before in his life i mean this is a guy who never fell off a bicycle (laughs) and i think the fact that the the overcompensation that he was allowing himself to do through his mechanics off and created the, the injury that he had or really inflamed it more than anything else. And I think recognizing mechanically where he went wrong is going to put him in a better situation. Uh, he's a thinker. He's a guy who really figures it out. And, and to be honest with you, I know everybody wants to get worked up over Jack. Yeah, he just wants to pitch. And I think one of the reasons why he wanted to clarify things was because you know, as you know, he he's on social media, and I think sometimes things were misconstrued, and he wanted to clear things up. But bottom line is, he wants to pitch, and I think he's going to do a lot of it in 2022. I've known Mike Claiborne for a long time, and I know that uh, you are somebody who just pays attention to what's going on. So, with that being the case, how different is an Oliver Marmol camp to a Mike Schultz camp? Well, that's a good question. Um, it's the same because Ollie ran Mike Schilt's camps. You know, Ollie was, you know, this putting the spring training together is something Ollie's been doing for a long time. 
Um, it's very organized. There's uh, a lot of detail, a lot of teaching and instruction. And, you know, if they don't like it, we're going to do, do it again. Uh, a lot of communication. There, there is nobody in the dark on where they stand as far as their role with what they see in spring training. You know how sometimes you go in and you hear guys say, well, I don't know my situation. Well, you're going to know it here. There's no doubt about it. And Ali's a huge communicator. He makes this business to interact with virtually everybody daily. You know, some managers just work away and worry about 15, 18 guys, and the rest of them will figure it out. That's not Ali Marmol. He's, I think one of his great traits is his ability to communicate. And knowing all of these guys before he became manager, I think, is a plus. And it changes a little bit because now you're the manager. But the fact that he's got Skip Schumacher as his bench coach, and, and Skip was a great communicator also, and he's done that role before, uh, I think it really puts him in a good position to be able to get some things done. And they've got enough veterans around. If somebody's in the dark on something, there's plenty of veterans that will certainly point them in the right direction. Michelle and I were talking about this yesterday. Normally, with a manager-bench coach dynamic, there's a good cop, bad cop. And generally, the bad cop winds up being the, the manager, and the good cop is the bench coach is kind of the buffer. Is it going to be different with Skip? Skip seems to be the guy that will walk into the clubhouse with the red ass, right? <laughs> and Ollie is going to be more the good cop guy? You know, Ali might have to calm Skip down. Yeah, I'm wondering. You, you know, because Skip was a competitive guy. You remember him. He's one of my favorite Cardinals of all time. I, I mean, watching him work and put work in uh, over the years, uh, Skip is a no-nonsense guy. Now, he's a guy who gets it, great communicator, but I don't think Skip has a problem lighting somebody up if necessary. But I think with this team, you have so many guys who self-police. This, this team self-polices itself as well as anybody. You, you know, they just let the players figure it out. And I think that's something that we've gotten away from in sports where players know players. And figuring things out on their own is something that uh, they used to be really good at. But, you know, now it, it's so hands-on by everybody. And everybody wants to show that they have a role that we get away from that. But in this team, I don't think we're going to see that as much. I think players will police themselves because you have enough veterans and enough guys who have ring experience in the game to be able to have a legitimate input on things that they see going in the wrong direction. I want to stick there with the veterans there for a second. Clabes, you're one of my favorite follows online. Everyone should follow you on Twitter at Clabes online. And I saw you tweet a picture yesterday. I actually retweeted it. It said ready for duty. And it's a picture of Yadier Molina (laughs) arriving at camp. I know there's a lot of big names and a lot of leaders on this team, but I imagine there's a bit of an energy shift when Yadier Molina arrived to camp. No? Yeah, Michelle, you are spot on. I'll give you a good example. You know, right outside the clubhouse, when Yadier came in, you know, everybody was happy to see him. So they had a clubhouse meeting. Um, you know, and they shut the door. And we were just standing out there talking, and you could hear the, the applause because they introduced Yachty. And we all knew that what it was about. And so when Ali came out to talk to the media, uh, he told us that was what the applause was all about because everybody was glad to see him. The room lit up. Uh, there was a lot more jump in the room from everyone. And uh, it was certainly because Yachty was here. So now that he's here, Let's get it going. Tons of great content from down in Jupiter uh, at Claves Online. And you always have a great feature with the two-man game with Rammer and our own Matt Rocchio talking hoops. And you talk about entertaining. The two guys that love it, that's a, a great feature on Claves Online. It's one of my personal favorites for sure. Uh, they do a phenomenal job covering the NBA and certainly basketball and now we've got a new basketball coach in Missouri, and I know St. Louis U is looking for a women's coach, and that's going to be an interesting job to follow. 
Uh, that's a very attractive job to a lot of people. So uh, they'll be still talking some college basketball well after the Final Four, I'm sure. Finally, Claves, you mentioned that Jack Flaherty's never fallen off of his bike. Michelle fell down the steps this morning when she got up. I can't believe that, Claves. <laughs> again, I did it again. You know what? I thought you were more agile than that. <laughs> I'm going to need to get one of those chairs, those lift chairs that takes me up the stairs. <laughs> I'm telling you what. <laughs> you know, you know I, I can't even hang around you because, you know, that bad karma might start to fall on me and all of a sudden I got to walk around with a limp. So you know I what? Be careful of you. I feel like I need to do the Jack Flaherty and take to Twitter and clarify it was dark. <laughs> there, I was wearing socks. You know? I take care of myself normally. I understand where Jack Flaherty's coming from. And you ha- and you handle heels well, so there's really yes. no excuse for you being so fussy. <laughs> no, it's embarrassing. Here's yeah, the thing. Well, we're gonna put you back in the flats, Michelle. If you're gonna keep this up. <laughs> we won't. We won't, we won't let you roll an ankle with heels on. Yeah. Mike, you and I do that. We break a hip at our age. <laughs> yeah, you know what? And all of a sudden, we're getting wheeled around. You know, exactly. we are at that age, man. Now, my hip has been barking already, man. Let, you know what? Now I can know what the weather's going to be like these days. The way my hip's been barking down here. Hey, hey it's great to hear. Yeah. Great to hear your voice. Uh, we love hearing you on the Cardinal broadcast. Thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it. We'll see you soon. All right, you guys have a great week. Take care. You too, Michael. Mike Claiborne, Claibs Online on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, as we roll on, we want your input into the Cardinal trade, a second-round pick, Jake Wallman and Oscar Sundquist for Nick Letty from Detroit, and the Blues will have Nick Letty in the lineup tonight. You are next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Here for St. Louis. Here to help you achieve more with your money. Nine oh nine in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle, Randy, Matt, with you, and the Blues will be in action tonight against Washington. It's a five o'clock pregame, six o'clock faceoff here on one hundred one ESPN. And Michelle, obviously, one of the things that the Blues have dealt with during the course of the second half of this season is consistent, intense play. They need to be more engaged on a regular basis, and that was one of the things that Doug Armstrong was asked about yesterday was, does Letty help this team become a more intense team because of his winning history? Uh, I, I don't think any one player is going to help the intensity of the Blues. That has to come from our leadership group. That has to start with uh, the guys that wear letters. Uh, but also it's, it's everybody, it's everyone's responsibility on the team to prepare a right way to win hockey games. And uh, the NHL season's not 82 Rembrandts. Uh, and right now we're going through a, a play right now that's not indicative of winning hockey, and we have to get out of that. So I don't think any one player is going to come in and change that. That has to come from within, and uh, uh, that's going to be the, that's going to be up to the players to to get that done. Whether it's production, intensity level, whatever it is, it's never going to be a one-player job with these St. Louis Blues. And when you lose a guy that was the engine of your team in so many ways, like Oscar Sundquist, it is the responsibility of the rest of the guys to pick up that torch. It's not going to be one person that you plug in that's going to bring that intensity for you. But I do think, Randy, that this is probably a message to the team that Doug Armstrong has sent saying, 
I think you're good enough to go out there and make a playoff run, which is why I'm bringing in someone that is addressing an area of need on this team. I've done my part. Now you guys need to go do your part. So we want to know what you're think. you think. We're going to get to your mic drops in a moment. First, let's, or your uh, texts in a moment. Let's hear a mic drop, though, from Evan here on 101 ESPN. Morning, Michelle. Morning, Randy. I really, really hated the trade like you guys did the first couple hours. But the more I think about it, the more I feel like this is a move for the offseason to open up cap. Let's go get Kachuk. He is the perfect blue under Bruby's system. Let's go blues. He would bring some intensity on a nightly basis. Matthew Kachuk would. He, I agree with Evan, is the perfect blue. He just wears the wrong sweater. At the moment. <laughs> At the moment, correct. I, I think that it would be a no-brainer. I'm sure if Doug Armstrong could make it make it work, he would have made that move years ago. But we'll just have to be patient on that one, unfortunately. And as we wake up this morning, the Blues are the number one wild card in the West. They're six points ahead of Dallas. So Dallas would have to pass the Blues, and Vegas would have to hit pass the Blues for the Blues to miss the playoffs, but the Blues didn't take advantage of an easy part of their schedule either. Mm-hmm. So I'll be really interested to see how they respond to this. A uh, couple of tech 65780 to the Air Comfort Service I have some, Randy. You want them? Yeah, let's hear it. From the 636, this is a great trade. I'm tired of people complaining about losing Oscar Sunquist. When are they going to realize that Army is the best? Follow him or get off the bus. LGB, love your show, guys and gals. Thank you very much. And Doug Armstrong many more times than not has made the right move. Doesn't always work out, but his batting average is pretty darn good. And I give him the benefit of the doubt. I do concede. And I do this reluctantly, Michelle. I concede that he knows more about hockey and the players he's dealing with than I do. What? Yep. It's really big of you, Randy. Thank you. I really appreciate that from you today. Um, I agree. Have, and I have a question for you because you, you've covered St. Louis far, sports long, far longer than I have, if I could speak today. Have you ever had the trust in a front office executive the way you do Doug Armstrong? I know that there's been some great ones. Walt Jockety, John Mosaic has certainly done a great job. But when you think about just the blind trust that you have in someone who's able to compartmentalize emotions and that seems to consistently make the right moves, is Doug Armstrong number one for you? I'd have to say Whitey is number one because Whitey not only just didn't make bad moves, he stole guys like stealing Jack Clark from the Giants and stealing Bruce Souter from the Cubs of all teams, stealing Ozzie Smith from the Padres, but he changed the entire scope of a franchise. So Whitey is number one, and then Walt was really good. I don't, I think if we go back and look at Walt's moves, the Dimitri Young for Jeff Brantley trade didn't work out. But otherwise, Walt's moves were pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. And Army is right there with Walt in terms of the batting average and the, the ability to deliver a championship. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. From the 314, I love this Blues trade. Sonny is coming back from two hip surgeries, and that's not good for a hockey player. I really love Sonny, but I don't feel like he's ever fully going to recover from those injuries. It's a concern. I would be concerned and... Again, the Blues know more about his medicals than anybody else. And somebody texted in earlier with the Fabry point. And Robbie Fabry, if you didn't see, he's torn his ACL again. And 
maybe the Blues think, and they are going to tell Detroit this, that Sunquist will never be what he was before. Mm-hmm. I hope that's not the case because I I want to see him after. He's success. a great guy, and he, he was is. such a key part of that Stanley Cup championship team. He really was. From the six three six, Randy. One more. I do feel like the Blues are better today, but it's a hard pill to swallow watching Sonny go. Seeing any of the guys that brought us the cup leave that hurts my heart a little bit. But either way, LGB. Yeah, we've seen a lot of those guys walk out the door now, haven't we? And it does become more and more difficult. Now, I believe Bortuzzo? Is Bortuzzo the only... Let me... I had my list here. Bortuzzo and Pareko are your only defensemen that are left from that group. And obviously you have O'Reilly, Perron, Barbashev, Tarasenko, Thomas, Schenner, and that's it. So... in the space of three seasons, you've cut away more than half of the Stanley Cup championship roster. So, can, yeah, it is difficult at times. Can I give you one more text? Yep. From the 618, while I agree that this move showed that Army has faith in the team, I also think it was a message to the guys to raise their intensity level, being that they traded their engine guy. Good point. I that's think a, that's a great point. Yeah, and hopefully they'll be able to regain that intensity that helped them win in in 2019. I wonder if, Michelle, if there is two things at play here. Number one, the Blues have been so good for such a long time. Sometimes young players walk through the door. This happened to the greatest show on turf. Players walk through the door and say, oh, I'm playing for the St. Louis Blues. I'm We're, we're going to be good. I don't really have to work hard at it. I think that's part of it. And then I wonder if with the veterans, if they think they can flip the switch because they did in January of 2019. But when you do that, I feel like it's kind of human nature. If you've done something once, you just assume that you have it in, you can do it again. Right. But it's not as easy as that. No, because it wasn't just one guy flipping the switch or one collective group of veterans. It was everyone on the same page every single night. Yeah, and I don't want to start, as much as I think the Blues could beat Calgary in a first-round matchup. By the way, the Blues are five points ahead of Vegas. So they probably, well, there's a long way to go. You you certainly don't want to see Colorado with them having home ice advantage in the first round. I don't want to see Calgary either. I'd much rather have home ice against Minnesota or Nashville. I want to finish second in this division. The Blues with 77 points are a point behind both Minnesota and Nashville at the moment. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up yesterday before the trade, we had a chance to talk to David Perron over at the Centene Ice Center. And that interview is next on 101 ESPN. To the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. He gets the job done on the ice every night. Perron, he tucked it in like you put the corner of his seat underneath your mattress in the morning. Blues forward David Perron, and he joins Character and Smallman right now. Perron, he scores! On 101 ESPN. Driven by Pure Performance, the only stop for all your aftermarket vehicle needs. Welcome back to Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy with you. And ordinarily, you hear David Perron's voice on the phone, but we wanted to see David Perron in person because it's been such a long time. So we came out to the EMB Granite Studios at Centene, and it is yeah. great to see you. Yeah, it's a pleasure. It's awesome to see you guys. And, uh, I'm glad we can make it work. How much fun is it for you? And we talked before last week, you, you guys played Pittsburgh, and you, you and Crosby, are, you have so much respect for him. But now you get to see Ovi, too, yeah. against Washington. How much fun is it for you to get on the ice with the all-time greats? Yeah, well, it's a different beast for sure. Different players, but uh, they're great in their own ways. And obviously, 
uh, what uh, Ovi is doing right now, trying to chase down that record of Gretzky. It's pretty special. Uh, the amount of uh, chances that he gets every night still at his age. Um, I saw, I watched a little bit of his game last night. I mean, he's still running around, being physical, doing everything he can to help the team win. So uh, it's pretty special to get the chance to, to play against those guys. And when he lines up in that dot to the right of the goalie on the power play, and he's always open, he's always open yeah. with that one-timer, that, that's one of the most amazing things I've seen in hockey. Well, he's always open because the other guys on the ice are, are close to being just as good as him. And, uh, I mean, a guy that we know very well in TJ Oshie, uh, when he's healthy, he's, he's in there in the middle spot on the power play on the kind of bumper spot we call. And um, the other guys are all, like, very good playmakers. So it's one or the other. Basically, they find the, the open guy, and um, that's the reason that OV keeps uh, getting open every year. Um, and in a way, thankfully, I'm, I'm not on the PK when we play him trying to get blocked that one timer of his, but uh, uh, now it's special. So you've been playing great lately, which we're going to talk about in a second. You had a hat trick over the weekend, another game last Thursday. But I think we can all agree that the most impressive Perron performance we've seen recently is your son, Mason, yeah. who played during yeah. the intermission. That had to be so cool for you to see him out there at, on the ice at Enterprise Center. It was, yeah. I mean, we, we kind of heard early in the year that they were going to uh, have the chance to play in between the period, the first and the second. And uh, leading up to it and then kind of driving to rank I was like do I do I step out of the room and and go watch it I, I kind of brought it up to Ray Burley our head athletic trainer he's like my son did it years ago and I stayed in the room and I still hate myself for doing that I I'm gonna force you to go out there like don't worry about anything don't worry if we're losing winning whatever the coaches no one will care you're at that stage in your career where you have like kind of the experience the respect and people will just kind of say hey like it's a cool unique experience and whether we're down five nothing or up five nothing uh, you don't control that so uh, but yeah anyways I ended up go- going out there and um, it was just like uh, the, basically the moment I sat on the bench he scored his first goal and then later on I see him like skate as, high, as fast as he could I, I didn't really ever see him skate that fast before and, and then he scores another goal and and then kind of to top it off, uh, I scored one myself that game. And it, the next morning, it was like, hey, you didn't work hard enough. You would have scored two if you did. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So you might have seen the viral video of Tiger Woods when he was watching his son Charlie do a swing. And they have a lot of the same mannerisms. When you watch your son skate, when you were watching him at Enterprise Center, do you see any of yourself uh, in him? Yeah, it's a good question. I n- Not quite yet because he's a lefty. I'm righty. So I don't know if it's like you look at players differently that way. But I've seen those, those videos of Tiger. They're, they're truly special and who knows maybe down the road um, he is very good he, when he, when they come to warm up I, I see things the next practice I'll see him try things that maybe guys are doing on the ice and I I know I didn't say anything so he's very like attentive to little details even at his age so uh, we'll see over the summer like you, you shoot pucks in the at, at the house uh, at our garage uh, obviously I train almost every day and he comes to with me all the time so I'm sure uh, he's gonna get some habits that I have how's the garage door looking <laughs> what's that how's the garage door look oh no it's it's <laughs> fine we, I, I made it uh, like five six years ago and it's it's like kind of we have a bigger like uh, land back home it's 6.5 acres and uh it's like four or five hundred feet from the house it's oh, just great. for my gym basically that's all there is in there right now and uh i obviously try and keep it clean i don't want to turn it into uh one of those garages that you you don't care about it's still clean in there and who's his favorite player are you your son's favorite player um it was binner for a while he oh, yeah. wanted to be a goalie for a long time and I don't know, like, I don't want to, if he's going to play hockey, like, even, like, uh, throughout his uh, 
childhood and everything. I don't know if I want that pressure to be that yeah. parent and you're always wondering, is it the night that my son's going to have a, such a bad night and all the parents are going to look over like, really? Like, we drove four hours for this and they had to, to play like that, but... Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I don't think, I don't know. I'm just trying to, to get interest from, from him knowing all the NHL teams slowly. Now he's, he's probably got half of them that he knows. Um, just getting interest in hockey in general because it, it solves a lot of problems. I think like at school, everything, you get more confident uh, in yourself. And with him last year, uh, learning English and everything, I think this year he's taken an, a, a huge level, um, in, in, I guess, in his hockey, uh, but also at school. As we mentioned, you're playing great, David. 12 goals in your last nine games. What's clicking for you right now? Um, well, I mean, uh, definitely. I, we, I talked about this with you guys, enjoying the struggle and all that, and I, I truly live it too myself. When when it's not going as well, it's not like I'm going away in my head. I'm 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 doubling down. I'm working as hard as I can to find solution. And I also think that for those games that I wasn't going as well, my my role had changed a bit. Like I was playing less minutes, uh, less power play, things like that, and they kind of put me back in the spot that I like to be in <laughs> as well. And uh, Obviously, uh, when you start having that success, you, you kind of like you smell blood. You don't want to let go. You want to just keep pushing forward. And uh, I'm not done. I want to keep pushing. You mentioned that you're enjoying the struggle. What What is it about adversity that that you embrace it and, and deal with it? And like you said, find a solution. Find, find a way. Yeah, just dig in deeper. Like uh, you go home and it's not always pleasant. I'm not always pleasant to be around when, when those situations. I don't put, put it on my family, but I, I know that I've become less vocal. I know that I'm, I'm kind of in my own space more. Uh, it's not like I get home and I'm mad that we lost. or I haven't, It's not that. It's just I, I, I do change my personality a little bit, I would say. Uh, but it's it's kind of like I, I do enjoy it at the same time, like digging deeper within myself. I've done it my whole career. Like everyone loves underdogs, and I see myself like like that my whole throughout my whole career, and uh, I'll keep doing that. So, do you use tape? How, how do you? dig in and, and fix things is it just all upstairs yeah for me most of it is is that i've always been the guy like uh, even playing golf i've never got any lessons i i just go on uh driving range and i figure it out until i do and i must be nice i yeah well i don't know if i figured it out yet on the golf course but uh hockey wise uh it's it's kind of been looking i think all rise seem to be similar when it comes to that you see how much time he puts in if something's not going well he puts in even extra uh, work and uh, I tend to be similar. You talked about going home and if you're not performing well, you're less vocal, you can feel it. But what's it like when you have that personal success, but you're not seeing the team success? Like for, yeah. for instance, this weekend you get a hat trick, but you lose the game. How do you compartmentalize that? Um, well, that's uh, that's very frustrating because usually if someone gets a hat trick any given night, you sh- I feel like you uh, you scored enough goals to win the game. Uh, and we, we badly need the points right now. We see some of the trades happening and uh, all that stuff. Uh, we can't let go of the rope, otherwise we're going to fall into maybe third position, maybe wild card, and uh, it's going to happen very quickly. So um, it, it is different. I think you just kind of try and stay positive, bring up uh, some of the points uh, in the media, everything. Everyone's listening to everything, uh, making sure that everyone wants to play the right way, and it's not something I feel like that we've had uh, consistently this year um, to, to win in the playoffs. And if we do that, I think we'll be fine. Do you think especially because you're a veteran player, you've seen a lot of players. Can everybody play that way? Is it, is it 
not easy, but possible for no. everybody to play the way that you need to play? The answer is no. Like, there's been, let's say, one of the better examples, Phil Kessel, when he went to Pittsburgh, they won two Stanley Cups with him. And everyone knows that he's not going in there and uh, forechecking every single time or being the most physical guy. But within himself, there's a, a way that he can play. And uh, I truly believe that every guy can find their own their own way, their own space that will turn into playoff success. And you're, you're going to have to get uncomfortable a little bit. And yes, you're going to have to, including Phil Kessel. I, I said that with Tampa Bay last year, like Kucherov, Braden Point, Stamkos. Those guys were so impressive to me, uh, how they were playing the right way in their own style. I get it. They weren't playing all like Pat Maroon or all those guys. Um, but they were lacking grit. They were lacking that, that mentality for, for a long time, for many years. And they were like, why can't we win? They were bringing Coleman. They brought Goudreau, a few guys, Patty. And they found a way to win. Those guys helped so much in the mentality aspect and turned those guys, I think, into more uh, responsible players in their, own, in their own ways. And that's why they won. And I Dave, truly believe it. Yeah, David, the, the, the word probably since I've been covering hockey that I, I find most appropriate is sacrifice and that's at playoff time that's the big thing whether it's your own game or sacrificing for each other sacrificing your own body it it really does all come down to sacrifice in my mind yeah yeah exactly you you have to know the situation uh we have guys that are like high-end players i'm a huge fan of a a lot of our young guys of every i mean our young guys uh i think we have a, a really good team but you have to know the aspect. Sometimes you're skating full speed up the ice, and you might not know, but your defensemen have been on the ice for a minute 30. They're tired. If you turn the puck over, they're stuck, and they're the ones working in the D zone, and they're getting frustrated at you. And what do you think is going to happen the next time they have a play to make to you? They might not make it because they're like, well, he, he screwed us one time. Is he going to do it again? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, But then the other, I, I find that the other aspect happens too. If you play the right way and everyone trusts you, it, it builds in a huge way. Like the other way, I think it's just a momentum that happens and everything else happens in the right way. So it is currently 11.26 on Monday we're taping this. By the time this hits the air, the trade yeah. deadline will have come and gone. We've talked to you about how that can loom over a dressing room, but what is today specifically like? Are you checking your phone all day? Yeah. Are all the guys talking? Take us through that. I am probably the guy that breaks most of the trades to the guys from, <laughs> from social media. I just, I think Shanner is another guy that loves it um, as well. There's guys that don't care at all, or, or maybe they're anxious, nervous, and they, they just act like they don't care. But I, I truly believe they do deep down because it's, it's our livelihood. It's our families. It's, uh, if I'm traded today, if someone's traded today, it changes everything. You live in a different city. Mm-hmm. You're learning everything new. You leave everything behind that, that you're trying to build here. So uh, I, don't, I don't believe that. Uh, like I think everyone's affected by it. But uh, I think most of the time I'll be on my phone till whatever, I think 2 p.m. Central, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll go from there. Um, you mentioned some guys who are checking in and, and that we'll be talking about it. Who on the team do you think would be a really shrewd GM? Because I'm sure you guys talk about different players or different deals. Who do you think? Shanner. Shanner. Okay, yeah. why? Yeah, because he, he's got connections with everyone, it seems, in the league. He's good at keeping connections. He, he loves talking on the phone all the time, <laughs> which is something I don't uh, necessarily like. Like on game days, we're on the way to the game sometimes on the bus, and he's going to be talking to his brother in Vancouver, or he'll talk to his dad, and he's very good at keeping connection. I think he's a pretty approachable guy. I think he's very smart, and obviously throughout his career what he does like even what he does on the ice can tell how selfless he is how everything i think he's 
I'm pretty sure he's going to be a GM one day. And there are guys, I felt that same way about Scott Mellenby yeah. when, when I talked to him all the time when he was a player for the Blues. So there, there are some people that when they're playing, you can tell that they just understand what a winning player and what, what's necessary for a unit to win with. Yeah. Well, there's, there's many of us, I think, that, that understand that part. I just think that Shenner is very, like, you need to be able to, like, be on the phone a lot, spend the time, work, and he does that very well. Well, you have a great one in Washington and then home against Philadelphia on Thursday night. Make it a great week, and it's great to see you. Thank you very much. Good to see you. David Perron with us from the E&B Granite Studios at Centene Ice Center on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's time for... You're killing me, Small. Well, it's official out of Columbia, Randy. The Mizzou basketball program has hired their 20th head coach in history. It's Dennis Gates. He's been named the, wait for it, University of Missouri Witten Family Men's Basketball Head Coach. That's the uh, complete official title there, according to their AD Desiree Reed Francois. Dennis Gates is joining the Tigers following a three-year run as a head coach at Cleveland State. He led the Vikings there to two Horizon League championships and back-to-back postseason appearances and he's going to be announced today at noon central time at uh in columbia welcome gator love to have you on our is, side is that what we're trying to do here gator yeah is that cool i don't know right gator gatesy no he's not a hockey player we can't go gatesy denny den d-dog dg D- dg dg but that reminds me of Derek gold that's true okay so we'll who's had far far more time at Mizzou True. and in St. Louis yeah, good point. than also Dennis good Gates. Point. So also let's throw point. some respect on Derek Gould's name. Yeah. I know that Mizzou fans are not 100% thrilled with Dennis Gates, but the coaching industry seems to really like him. I know that one of the hopes for a lot of Mizzou fans was Kim English, who may wind up being a good coach. Mizzou fans pined for another Mizzou grad named Kim at one point. Didn't work out particularly well. And I'll say this about Kim English. I know that he can help recruit because he did at Tennessee. I know that he's got a good pedigree. But I also know in watching Slew play George Mason, that Travis Ford coached circles around him in the second half of the Slew game at George Mason. I don't believe that he has earned an SEC job yet. I don't believe that Kim English has earned an SEC job yet. After three years, like Dennis Gates has spent at Cleveland State, perhaps. But I don't think that you can say, okay, I'm, I'm going to throw Kim English into an SEC head coaching job. Yeah, maybe he needs a little bit more seasoning. But I understand why Tiger fans would want him because no one loved the program more than Kim English. No one. Except for Kim Anderson. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> no one. Kim I mean, Anderson was really, really. He loved the Mizzou program. That's right, that's right. But think about when Kim, Kim English was a player, he was constantly talking about how much he loved Columbia mm-hmm. and how he loved being a Mizzou Tiger. And I think Mizzou fans want somebody that is going to come in and get it and somebody that's going to come in and want to stay for a while and take great care of the program and feel a sense of responsibility to get the Tigers program back to where it was. So I understand why you'd want it to be Kim English. I am not a big donor. I am not a person who is a graduate of the University of Missouri. But that being said, 
if I were, I would want somebody who is going to win. And there is universal respect for Dennis Gates in the coaching community. I think that's what they should want more than the Mizzou guy. You know, having the Mizzou guy has never worked at Mizzou, whether it was Woody Widenhofer or Kim Anderson. I guess it worked with Norm Stewart. But there is such a need, not just here, but throughout college athletics to bring somebody home. Mm-hmm. It almost never works. Barry Odom. Thank you. That never, almost never works. Mm-hmm. But I understand as a fan why you'd want that, though. Yeah. It's, I really do. Oh, oh, it, it's the touchy-feely, you know, warm, fuzzy thing. But then you have to play the games. That's... <laughs> yeah, how long does the warm, fuzzy feeling last? This is what we talked about with Albert Pujols, right? To, uh, what was it when they the home game... Uh, the home... Obviously, homecoming game to uh, what Middle Tennessee? Oh, God, yeah, it was Middle Tennessee. Barry Odom losing to Middle Tennessee on homecoming. Yikes. Yeah, right. Yikes. Put some respect on Benny Cunningham's name. Come on now. Benny. Benny C. I love Benny C. I want him on the show. Right now? Well, yeah, he's the guy that said the NFL is scripted. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I haven't gotten any responses on those. Let's dive into <laughs> on those, that. On those yeah. DMs, apparently that NDA has has tightened since he <laughs> made those comments. Because he said, I can't, I can't talk about it anymore because of an NDA. Yeah. And apparently he's made no other um, allusions to it since then. Darn it. You're killing me, Smalls. A homecoming for LeBron James as the Lakers beat the Cavs. The Cleveland Cavaliers, 131-120. LeBron had a great game. And, guys, he said he's having the time of his life right now. He said the game is such a beautiful thing. He scored 38, recorded 12 assists, grabs 11 rebounds in that game. He lifted his all-time record to 17-1 and against his former franchise, including a dunk that everyone has been seeing all over socials and TV over his old teammate and current buddy, Kevin Love. Um, and once I got the bounce pass and I put my left leg down into the ground, that's when I looked up. And to be completely honest, I, I, I hate it had to be him. He's my guy. That's my brother. And... Um, I hope I'm still invited to the wedding. That's all. That's all I, you know, that's not even in my all time dunk. So I'm t- that's, I take it out. I didn't mean it. K-Love, I love you. And I take it back. I wish I could take those two points back and we, we still win the game by nine. So. Kevin Love responded and says, I'm not bleeping with my guy King James for at least 48 hours. <laughs> yeah, he hates that it had to be his buddy, but an impressive performance for LeBron. Do you think that... He sees LeBron, and I know at the All-Star game, he said that he wants to play with his son before his career ends. But do you think he sees the end of the line? when LeBron? Yeah, when when you've won as much as he has, and you're having the time of your life now, I I can't imagine that he's really having the time of his life. You know, I kind of don't disagree that he—I think he actually might be telling the truth here, and here's why. Every waking second— up until this point has been about winning championships and has been about the legacy and has been about the pressure and has been about the Michael Jordan comparisons. And now that he knows the end is near and the state of his team isn't really that great Mm -mm. and he's still performing at such a high level, I wonder if this is the first time he's actually really just been able to experience basketball and have fun without those restraints because his legacy is set. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if LeBron wins another championship right now. He He could tie Jordan and there would still be people that were in Team LeBron and Team Jordan. The the people that aren't on in Camp LeBron are never going to be in Camp right, LeBron. Right. And so I think he's kind of looking around and looking back at what he's accomplished and feeling healthy and feeling good. He probably is having a lot of fun. I don't 
believe that he's going to retire anytime soon. But the vibe I got from those comments was the same vibe that Kobe gave in his last year. A little bit, yeah. A little bit. More of an appreciation for yeah, the game. loving the game. Yeah, an appreciation for what you're able to accomplish. Yeah. Now, you mentioned everything he has accomplished. We know the resume. Four championships, ten trips to the finals on his resume. But... It seems like we don't talk about LeBron as much when we talk about the current greats of the game. Stephen A. Smith, is LeBron underappreciated? I don't think underappreciated should ever be associated with LeBron James. LeBron James is vastly appreciated. I often say we will miss him when he's gone. Oh, for sure. And what I really appreciated when he broke the record and he talked about what it meant to him and what have you. He talked about the responsibility of showing up as often as you possibly can. Because I think today's generation of players, and one of the things I'm guarding against and I'm very protective of, is a player feeling the responsibility to show up. That's why you see me going off on so many people this year. Because they missing games. Yeah, you can't ever accuse LeBron of that. No, he does the right thing. For fans, And he does the right thing for the sport. There's all of this load management that's mm-hmm. going on, and you don't see LeBron load managing. I actually think he is underappreciated because as much as, NBA, as much NBA as I watch, there are nights when LeBron James plays where I do not find a way to watch that game. And that's insane when you think about the fact that I could... 82 times a season watch maybe the greatest player to ever play this sport ever. And I, there are some times where I'm just like, eh. I've seen him a lot. I think he is underappreciated. It's a good point. And the amazing thing is, is that he's playing now as well as he ever has. Now, does he have the supporting cast? Does he have a group of winners surrounding him? No. But individually, he's playing as well as he ever has. Also, one bit of, uh, of news that we should circle back to, Randy, because I know you'll be excited. Uh, you were looking for a nickname for Dennis Green, yes. but a guy you already have a strong nickname for, you heard Matt mention in the Sports Center update, Nathan Walker being recalled oh. by the Blues under emergency conditions. So your boy, back. Nadab. Nadab, back. <laughs> he's back. Cannot let go of the greatest nickname ever given to a sports person. You've got the Yankee Clipper. You've got the Splendid Splitter. You've got the Machine. You've got Stan the Man. You've got Street Clothes. But do you have Nadub? No. Now he's here. Thank goodness. Nadub is so horrific. Billy White Shoes Johnson. White Shoes Johnson was another good one. But Nadub is my favorite nickname. Nadub and Marp are my two favorite nicknames what? of all time. I'll never forget when you first unveiled Marp and we were all like, Marp? And then the next thing I knew, a week later on the text line, people were like, I don't think Marp should be hitting here in the lineup. There you go. It that's, really stuck. That's what you want your legacy to be is Nate Dub and Marp. No, no, Nadub. Nadub, not Nate. sorry. Sorry, Nadub and Marp. It's Nathan's. even worse than Nate Dub. Nathan W. <laughs> are you seriously going? Great career. Probably a Cardinal Hall of Famer. Are you going to bestow the nickname of one of the great Cardinal postseason performers ever in Chris Carpenter, Carp, on Matt Carpenter? Are you going to do that? Well, they were both around. You, you couldn't call one Carp because they were there at the same time. Well, you, Carp, Chris Carpenter was there first. He is the Carp. He's Carp. So, yes, I understand why we needed to pivot and come up with a different nickname for Mark. Matt Carpenter. And... I understand why you settled on Marp. It's kind of like a Benefer type situation. Yeah. You're trying to merge two names, and it just whatever happens, happens. Brangelina doesn't really roll off the tongue, but here we are saying it. Marp. 
Brangelina is not even a thing anymore. Now, no. Bennifer is. Bennifer bought a $50 million because house. The only wives and girlfriends he ever picks are named Jennifer. That's right. He's <laughs> certainly got a type. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle. You got it. Coming up, we're going to head down the stretch. I've got, uh, you can take or leave Mike Florio, but he's got a great line this morning on his website. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. talk Mike Florio writes that the Lions should pursue Baker Mayfield Mm. because Mayfield he writes quote is the personification of the kneecap biting attitude the coach Dan Campbell is trying to instill the hard scrabble likable for the most part punk who is equal parts Rick Mahorn and Marshall Mathers what a great description of Baker Mayfield is he Marshall Mathers though little Eminem yeah Mm. wants to be want to be Maybe. I don't know. I'll have to really think on that. I don't know if that's the fair But he's hard scrabble and sort of likable at times and yeah. tries to be a tough guy. Yeah, he... Tra- he he, he kind of fit in Detroit. Yeah, I mean, he played through injury last year. You can't question that the guy's committed or that he's tough. Right. I could see him thriving under Dan Campbell. I mean, I've watched the vid- those videos of Dan Campbell, and I want to run through a wall. At first, I thought, oh, my God, what a phony act. We're going to bite kneecaps. I drink the 72 espressos mm-hmm. a day. And then you watch those videos, and that's really him. That's genuinely Dan Campbell. And I find it to be very endearing. He's like an old-school football motivator guy that's existing in today's world. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of football players need that. They respect it, and they respond to it. Yeah. So I could see Baker going in, and the pressure wouldn't be there. It's not like he's going to a team that's immediately going to be a contender. They're a team that is up up on mm-hmm. the rise. They had some surprising wins last year. He would come in as a, no disrespect, an upgrade over Jared Goff. I would think yep. so if he's healthy. Yeah. I don't know how healthy he's going to be. But I do think that that could be a good place for him to kind of resettle himself and change the narrative around him. I think a better fit would be Seattle, simply because of the tools, the players around him, the offensive coordinator. And I think he'd be a great fit for Pete Carroll. I think Pete Carroll would embrace what Baker Mayfield is as as well as Dan Campbell would. Other than those two landing spots, because this is the first I've heard the Lions even be brought into the conversation. Mm-hmm. You too? Yeah. Where else do you think he could go? Obviously, Carolina is still out there making calls, making moves. That might be a spot for him. I don't know what the role is going to be for Jameis now that he's re-signing with the Saints. Maybe they have interest in bringing in Baker. Anywhere else? I don't think so. I think everybody's set. I think so, too. But think about that. that Here's a guy in Baker Mayfield who was a number 1 overall pick who played pretty well considering what he was dealing with from a physical limitation standpoint last year. Jimmy Garoppolo, who's been to two of the last three Mm -hmm. Super Bowls and who his teammates love and say he's a good leader and has had success everywhere he's went. And both of these guys are wondering where they're going to be. Right. One year ago, right now, Baker Mayfield was coming off a 12-4 and season and a playoff win over the Steelers. One year ago, right now. Wow. And now... Life comes at you fast. Yeah, really Now he's getting kicked out of his home, which is the stadium. Yeah, it's true. Sad. Uh, Tim McKernan and Action Jackson are coming up. They've got a little balloon party for you in the 10 o'clock hour. Great job today by our producer engineer, the one, the only, Matthew Rocchio. Thank you, sir. Pleasure. Michelle? 
Hope you feel better. Hey, thanks. I'm going to be icing this back all afternoon. God, what? Yeah. A uh, dropping the cold tub. Come what? on. One word. One word, Michelle. Railings. I have a railing, Randy. Yeah, did you, were you holding on to it? I was not. I was holding okay. my computer. Go. I'm just I saying. know. But you know what's crazy about it, too? As I walk slowly down the stairs, it's that I was wearing socks. You'd think I would have learned my lesson. Yeah. Ridiculous. I'm, I'm going to have to get a life alert. <laughs> I'm serious. I thought about that. I'm laying I'm on the ground. and I can't get up. Randy, I was laying on the ground and I screamed out loud, not again. And then I thought, what am I going to do if I can't get up to get my phone to tell Randy I can't come in because I've fallen down the stairs and I don't have a life alert? It's terrible. I mean, my birthday's in August. Consider a life alert as a gift. Okay, yeah, I you, mean, you, you I know I'm getting up there in age, but this is reaching. That is, yeah, it's quite the jump for 36, isn't it? I got to tell you. It's a nice new necklace, Michelle. Uh, yeah. Think? Michelle, accessorizing differently? Yes, it's my life alert. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll see you tomorrow in the morning. For all of us, thanks for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast1 to learn more and start your free trial.